What's up, all you beautiful people? It is Sunday, June 13th, and it is a fitting day to be releasing this episode of the Bartcast. Why, you might ask? Why is today special? Well, Sunday, uh, as I'm sure many of you are aware, is the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, the holy day for Christianity. And that is apropos because my guest today is a religious man, a theological scholar, a philosopher, and one of the most genuine and kind humans I have had the privilege of becoming acquainted with. Yes, folks, my guest today is none other than Mr. Jeremiah Jenkins. What a name, Jeremiah Jenkins. Um, Jeremiah is studying to be a preacher at the San Francisco Theological Seminary in San Anselmo. For my Marin peeps out there, it's the Hogwarts collection of buildings. I always thought it looked like Hogwarts in San Anselmo. I remember being in high school and taking a hike one day, and I had no idea it was there. And all of a sudden, I just see this like castle in the hills. It's a beautiful center. Um... And people go there to become preachers, um, which I I have very little personal experience with. So I met Jeremiah at a party of all places, uh, my friend's house in Oakland. And, you know, when I found out that he was a preacher, or studying to be a preacher at least, um, I was very interested because, you know, although I've, you know, I've been baptized and bar mitzvahed for the record. Um, I I really don't have a lot of experience in my life firsthand with ch- with the church, and uh, it's it's a world that is, you know, such a big part of many people's life and experience. And uh, you know, I'm always kind of a fan of learning about alternative experiences and and other people's paths and. I think uh, a lot of us are searching for meaning. I know I am in my life, so it's it's really interesting when you meet someone who is a is a guide and a leader in that realm. And uh, and I, th- I felt right from the start with Jeremiah like this really strong connection. He was super open to talking about his path and his beliefs, and um, in a really like casual way, I think that's one of his superpowers is just this ability to really connect at the human level and, uh, and be very accessible to people. Um, and, you know, I also just couldn't get around that, uh, that, that I met this guy in this environment, this at a party where, you know, there was lots of revelry and psychedelics and, um, and and to find a, a man studying to be a preacher of, in, in that of all places and engaging in some of the activities, it was like a total unique, you know, I'd never seen anything like that before. So I really wanted to connect with him. And over the, over the intervening months, we've become good friends and, uh, and I was hanging out with him the other day and we were talking, we got into this deep philosophical discussion and, uh, I was like, Hey man, you should come on my podcast. <laughs> and uh, and he agreed. And so we ended up doing about 
a little over three hours and, um, and we do get into like a variety of topics, his background, his story, how the role that religion has played into his life. And, uh, as well as his experiences with psychedelics, which, which to me is like, you know, is so interesting to talk to, to someone on the religious path who is breaching that realm of experience and doing so in like a really genuine and thoughtful way. Um, I really wanted to get his thoughts on the experience. So we dive in there. We talk about a range of topics. Um, and yeah, I'm going to keep it there because this is a long episode, so I won't, won't go too long, too long for the, for the intro. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it. I had a blast with Jeremiah. He is an amazing, unique person and, uh, and very much, um, someone, someone I hope you all find interesting and are able to connect with in the way that I did. So without further ado, let me introduce to you, Mr. Jeremiah Jenkins, the psychedelic preacher on this episode 32 of the Bartcast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise. Jenkins. Yes. Man, what, a, what an iconic name you have. I know. It, it seems like I should do something with my life. It's, I've always liked. <laughs> I've always liked J names. Like I think J is one of the best letters for a name. It really is. And you got two of them. Right. And I feel double like down on the greatness. Yeah, and <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of stories about double J's. You know, there's like mm-hmm, you ever mm-hmm. seen Jeremiah Johnson? I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. Classic. I know what it's about. Classic movie. Right. Robert Redford. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The first like half an hour has zero dialogue. It's just like all <laughs> shots of him trying to survive badly in the world. Cast away before Tom Hanks. Look at that. Exactly. Exactly. Don't get the um, credit. But yeah, Jeremiah Jenkins, I feel like it's just like a natural storyteller name, you know? Or I, a oh, name I that, like that belongs idea. in a story. I like storytelling. Maybe. I would assume you do, given yeah. on the path that you're on. Yep, yep. Jeremiah, how uh, how do you introduce people to your life's path when they ask you the the dreaded question, "What do you do?" Oh man. Well, you know what? Uh, I just tell them now that I'm a preacher. Okay. Because that just seems to make sense to people. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I. As soon as I say that, people are like, okay, yeah, you do that thing in the church. Yeah. Right. They get it. <laughs> yeah. And then we can take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice little container that, you know, you can fit a, right. a universe worth of experience yep. inside. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Preacher yeah. Preacher Jenkins. Yeah. Because I know that my path is, you know, a little non-traditional. Mm-hmm. But to start, I was like, let's not start with the confusing stuff. Let's just, <laughs> let's, 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 <laughs> let's get grounded first and then yeah. we can move forward. 
what's the what what would you say like do you notice a, like a common reaction to that do people tend to 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 be more open or more closed upon hearing that do you think both um i, I don't know which one more um but i certainly read people you know as soon as i say yeah. it and you know <laughs> The next words out of their mouth or even eye contact, you know, like they start to look away. It's like, all right, well, I'm not interested in this conversation. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, even some people who have an aversion to religion will still voice that, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Right. Sometimes that leads to a conversation. Sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, no, as soon as I say preacher, then, <laughs> then I can read the body language like, all right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, because, I mean, it is kind of a provocative title in the modern era of today, right? Like it brings up so many feelings and thoughts for people. Yes, yes. It it makes me think, you know, I've probably told you the story a couple times now, but, you know, a couple years ago, some friends of mine asked me to to marry them. So I went through the whole ordainment process Uh and... uh, and it was really like, you know, at first it was like, okay, yeah, haha, I'm a reverend now. And that right. was like the, you know, there's like a list of like kind of similar terms that you can use to describe, you yep, know, some yep. of the like, like, uh, what is it? Clergical terms mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. to be, I feel like are tied to specific achievements. Right. Yeah. And then some of them are like more blanket. That's a kind of like a general spiritual leader or guide term. Right, right. And of all the ones, like to me, Reverend always had the nicest ring to it. You know, <laughs> yeah, the righteous Reverend. Yeah, you know, it's like the root of the word, like reverence. Right. To to bring reverence out, mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to 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 revere things, to to you know be a conduit of reverence. Right. Um, and, and you I, did it, and you did it online. Yeah, you at Universal Life Church. You know. Yeah, your process was significantly quicker than mine it was shockingly (laughs) so like i went on the website and uh and it was like you know i'm thinking all right like fill out some forms you know answer a questionnaire maybe Mm -hmm. you know maybe send a letter maybe there's a waiting period and uh and it's like input your email and i like hit submit and it was like congratulations you're a minister of the universal life church and i was like what don't i get buy me a drink first you know like and, uh, but the interesting thing was, you know, over the next, you know, six to nine months after I hit that button, mm-hmm. uh, there really was a transformation that began as I, as the, as the wedding neared and right. I set to write out what the ceremony I'd never, you know, wrote, written a wedding ceremony before. Many so. people have not. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I chose a very, like, I kind of just did it on the fly in my own way. Yeah. And well, you know, and obviously conducted the bride, you know, consulted the bride and groom about what sort of a ceremony that they wanted. Yeah. These are friends of yours. So, yeah. Yeah. But like leading up to the to the event, you know, and and for the whole weekend, I almost was in a trance like like I. I wasn't my usual like party Hobart self. Right. Right. I and I really like felt myself like slide into this role of like a little more quiet, a little mm-hmm. more withdrawn. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling like this really like a kind of enormous energy on me. Like, you know, the, there was the ceremony itself, but the mm-hmm. whole weekend kind of uh, had that extra 
you know, charge or energy to it. And yeah, you know, it was, it was deep, man. It, it, it's, it's no small thing to, right, uh, to right. take that, that title. That's so, I, I think that's so interesting. I was, I was interning at a church and the pastor encouraged me to try some, try wearing different things that, you know, are pastoral, you know, so there's a little, the stole that you could wear around your neck that falls, you know, uh, right in front of your chest. Uh, there's a priest collar. There's several different things. And, you know, she explained, she told me, it's like, it's not really for other people, you know, as far as how they respond to you. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want you to do it to see how, how you respond to it, how you feel. And I didn't do it. <laughs> like every Sunday, I just borrowed her stole, and yeah. that, that was it, you know. But like, kind of what you're talking about, you know, you're preparing for that ceremony, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, you start feeling certain things. You feel a certain way, and um, you told me about your outfit that you mm-hmm. get right. Like <laughs> now, all of a sudden, all these thoughts. It was a come. big part of it, yeah. Because you know, it's like like a uniform or, or anything, right? Like, like ceremony, like that's a huge part of ceremony is like, how do we clothe ourselves? Right. Any, you look at any tradition and there is, yeah. there are ceremonial cloths. And mm-hmm. as it happened, I was, I, I made a trip to Peru that year and I, you know, carried, grabbed my girlfriend by the arm and yeah. dragged her through all these markets. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I got to find, this is the place like to, to, right. for this type of wedding. Like. Some I need some alpaca, you know, like that's going to be <laughs> the vibe for the Hobart preacher, you know, yeah. and I knew what I kind of knew what I wanted in my head. Yep. And uh, and I went through like three or four different markets a couple afternoons until finally I'm going to have to get it out for you after after. Oh, please. After yes. we talk. I need to see how deep the um, bee is. Yeah. Maybe we'll take some photos. <laughs> but uh, it was open midriff, you know, it was a summertime <laughs> right. service. And uh <laughs> I'd been working out, so I was trying to yeah. you know, trying to show off what I got. Um, <laughs> that's the kind of reverend I am, Jeremiah. Hey, if, if, if you're going fishing, you don't need some bait. You know what I am? You know what I, mean? <laughs> I ain't no priest, but I'm a reverend. You know? <laughs> yes. I, I've had to tell people that as well. I'm yeah. like, look, I'm not a priest. I'm yeah. not like the celibacy thing like that. No, I did not sign up for that. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of more of a kind of like a friar tuck. <laughs> Yes, yes. He's probably the religious figure I most identified right. with. Um But but what was interesting to me about that is the um like I'm not someone who really I don't typically think very much about the aesthetics. And yet in certain spaces all of a sudden it's like, yeah, now mm-hmm. we gotta talk regalia and right. it it is important. Maybe not for me every single day, but at certain times at least. It is. Yeah. What What is the significance of the stole? And, and can we just can you describe oh, what a stole gracious. is? Because you were asking the wrong person. I think that's something okay. a lot of people have read, but maybe they don't right. have a clear image in their mind of what a stole is. Yeah, I'm going to be bad at all of this. So the stole is um, again, it kind of wraps around your neck, but it falls in front of you. Okay. So just kind of two bands falling and just right down mm-hmm. your chest and just kind of hangs maybe down to like knee level uh, kind of like or even lower people wear them in graduation sometimes too, absolutely right? absolutely yes yeah yep that's what that is okay and you know if if i get any of this wrong you know i don't know god me. god I have mercy <laughs> <laughs> like i'm look i'm so bad when it comes to 
visual things. I shouldn't even really say bad. It's just I focus on different things. So I don't know if you remember that movie, the the Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Right. I see dead people. I see dead people. Right. So I walk out of that movie and I start talking about it with my friends, and I can tell you. It's like, oh, yeah, there's this part in the movie where so-and-so said this, and then they said that. Like, dialogue, yes. Yeah. I noticed that. These jokers started talking about, like, oh, yeah, well, I knew this because the, the, the door handle was red or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Did, really? Did that ha-? They're like, how did you not notice all the red in the movie? Mm. I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> like, I don't. Like, so, yeah, the visual stuff, like, I am not, I am really not the person. Is there a special significance? Is does the stole symbolize something? Probably. Yeah, it's just yeah, not clear. I don't know. I always I wonder no about idea. that stuff. You know, I was yeah. I, I was just talking about this the other night with my friends, but uh, when I was like twenty, I want to say twenty one. Tw- yeah, probably like twenty one. Uh, I was driving back from like a weekend of partying. Mm-hmm. It was our buddy's twenty first birthday down in Santa Barbara, where. All right. I went to school for my first two years, big party town. So we went and we did the whole weekend and then I was getting a ride back up with my homie and he, we were hungover, mm-hmm. and he was like, look, you know, I lived in Santa Cruz at the time, which was off of, you know, for those who have driven up and down the state, Santa Cruz is not on the 101, which is like the major right. interchange. Uh, and so, you know, it was a significant detour, probably like at least an hour and my friend's like, look, man, I don't feel like driving you back to Santa Cruz today. Like, can you, you want to just come stay at my parents' house? And I, and I was like, yeah, but you, you're going to a wedding. Like that was what you told me. Like, isn't there a wedding going on? And he's like, yeah, let me check and see if you can come. (laughs) Do you want to crash my family's wedding? (laughs) It was like his aunt or something. (laughs) And so I'm like, you know, yeah, sure. Whatever. You know, so ends up, I end up going to this wedding Back in those days, I was a bit of a break dancer. Oh, Ended up what? like being the kind of life of the party. Like their family loved me because I was doing nice. all these moves. And <laughs> the next day, I think was Easter, and their family was where they were Catholic. And I'm staying at their house in the morning, and they're like, "Hey, look, you don't have to come to service. Like, just hang out and watch movies or whatever." Yep. And I was like, you know. I'm taking an anthropology of religion course right now. Like this would be an interesting like case mm-hmm, study to do. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go with them because I hadn't been to, to church since I was probably eight years old. Oh, been a while. And yeah. Yeah. You know, my dad was a psychedelic musician who also identified as Catholic. And so All right. we'd go to church every now and then. And, and for me and my brother, it was like, I went to church for one thing and that's the donuts. <laughs> Like you sit through the service. I didn't really understand what was going on. Like if I was too hungry, I'd eat the wafer to hold me over, you know? And, uh, and then afterwards in the reception, there'd just be these long tables just stacked with unlimited donuts. And when you're a kid, unlimited donuts, that's like, so we would just chow down and then just run around just sugar high all day. So for me, that was what church was. And, you know, Later on in life, uh, you know, my my mo- mother's side of the family is Jewish and, you know, secular. But we, my, my grandmother was an Orthodox Jew who left the, you know, the Orthodoxy. Okay. When she went to college and kind of was radical in that regard. 
Um, so yeah, for me, I'm like, yeah, let's go check out this church thing again. Right. Like just from like a scientific or just philosophical, whatever my, right. and my also they might have donuts and they might have donuts. <laughs> exactly. That thought was not independent from my mind. Let's see where the Catholic church is these days with their donuts. Uh-huh. Fred. 21 year old metabolism. Yeah. Oh, let's go. I remember there was a Presbyterian church in my hometown and I went to one of their services not as good of a spread with the donuts. They maybe had <laughs> some oat muffins mm-hmm. or something. I was yep. less impressed. That's why they're dying out. They yeah. got to get their donut game yeah. on point. Yeah, they did not have the, the Catholics <laughs> had it on lock. But uh but anyway, so I go to the service and it's like this in this church and I think they had just gotten a new pastor, a new I don't what's the term in the Catholic church? Is it the pastor? They do, they do priest. Priest. Okay, right. a new priest who's the head of the church and he was straight off the boat from Ireland old man oh, wow. and he opens the service and he's like well i know a lot of you there's been some complaints about the way i've been running my church he's like and i want y'all to know that if you have any problems well you can just deal with it <laughs> he's like it's this this is my man. church now and i'm gonna do it the way that i see fit and i was well, like this guy's awesome like he's just you know this is like enriched part of like uh-huh. san mateo like right. very like bougie people this guy was just laying it down and uh, and the whole cer- ceremony, it was like very coming in as an outsider in college and mm-hmm. like just, you know, I've always kind of been like a spiritual seeker, mm-hmm. but it was very, it was just fascinating to watch this, like the way that this pr- particular church was building a feeling of mysticism from right. like the ornate gold painted, mm-hmm. you know, decorations mm-hmm. to the the incense and then like everybody just doing the like. Like the intonations and the chants, and 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 for me, it was almost like you know I was very aware that I wasn't on the same kind of level consciousness-wise with the rest of the people in the room, and it just fascinated me. It was like a very interesting look into it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a different culture. Like I remember going to Catholic church with one of my good friends in in middle school, Ivan. Yeah, uh, spent the night over his house. Mm-hmm. Went to Catholic church, and I had been in Presbyterian church really most of my upbringing. I'd been mm. to Baptist churches, Pentecostal, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'd never been to Catholic church before. Gotcha. I was so self conscious because mm. I didn't know. Usually I go to church and I'm like, okay, I got it. I know what to do. Okay, now we're doing. Like, oh, why, okay, all why right. Why is the music now, suck oh, so man. much all of a sudden? <laughs> and then I didn't know when to stand up, when to sit down. I mean, yeah, yeah. oh man, I was lost. Like, where's the soul, man? I'm used to, I'm used to the music. Yeah, right. like, At least we get a good jam out yeah. of it. Oh yeah. Like, didn't know how to cross myself. I mean, I was yeah, yeah. I, I was lost. So mm. yes, no, that's a, that's a different culture. You were raised Presbyterian. So, um, my, so, all right. So my parents got pregnant like super early. Mm-hmm. I think my mom was 16. Okay. And my dad was a little bit older, graduated high school that year. Mm-hmm. So they go straight into the military. Well, then my parents starting a family, they, really started to look back and like, all right, we want to, we want to make religion a big part of, part of our life. And we want to really like live for God. Yeah. 
So some of my earliest memories are being in Pentecostal church, very long services. Mm. Also being super involved. So like there are multiple times a week. So yeah, I remember falling asleep in pews and all that. Mm -hmm. But my parents divorced when I was young. I was probably like five, right? So they split up. Still want church to be a thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, it was a hassle. I've got, at that time, there was four of us, four boys. Later, there would be a fifth. But um, trying to get, you know, four boys dressed (laughs) when... Honestly, listen, we just wanted to watch cartoons in the morning. You know, we didn't make it easy. And so Herding cats. Yeah. So after a while, like there was there was a church down the street. And I was like, well, y'all can just go there. And then this one church had a bus ministry and they came and literally pick us up on this school bus. Um, but even that got old. And so after a while, I think my mom just kind of gave up. OK. Um, but then I ended up meeting this dude named Kent who basically invited me to this church and that was a Presbyterian church. I was 12 at the time and that was a church that I went to for, I don't know, 20, 20 some odd years. What, what can you explain what, uh, like the fundamental like uniqueness is, uh, or basis is for Presbyterian? Like how does that differ from other? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah, No, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Presbyterians, um, the name Presbyterian really draws from the governance structure of the church. Mm. Um, so it's really, how do I say it? Like they want people to have a say and people to govern. So they don't really want it to be as top down as say like the Catholic church where mm-hmm. you got the Pope at the top. You know, then you got like all these bishops and then, you know, um, so instead of it being that way, they look at it like, hey, well, the the pastor, you know, the head of the church isn't necessarily the head of the church. It's the pastor and all the elders of the church Mm. who are lay people. They, you know, they probably haven't gone to school and got the schooling and done all that, but they're volunteers in the church and they're working and community leaders. You're right. Right. So as a community they help to to govern the church. So combine that with, yeah, Presbyterians are, are Protestant. So, you know, Protestant Catholic mm-hmm. divide. Yeah. Um, a couple things go into that. One uh, of many being that um, the, the, the priest does not act as an intermediary between humans and God. Um, you know, for, for Presbyterians, you have more of a direct line, you know, so to mm-hmm. speak. So um, it's still very high church. Yeah, yeah. And by that, you know, a lot of rituals and, you know, there's certain things. If you go, I can go to almost any Presbyterian church in the in the nation, and I would expect not to be lost, not okay. to be confused. Okay. There's going to be elements that are very similar. Yeah. Similar to going, you know, from what I hear, going from one Catholic church to the next. Mm-hmm. You kind of know what to expect. Right. So, yeah. So there's that. Um there's, correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. isn't there also like an expectation that the the responsibility, it's like your own responsibility to develop your understanding of the Bible rather than to have the priest right. explain it to you? Right, right, right. And that kind of goes um, right along with the, the governance structure. So again, if the 
pastor, the head of the church, really is doing that in conjunction, you know, with the elders. And it's like, well, yeah, we do expect the elders to know the word and mm-hmm. read the word and have their own faith journey, be able to articulate that and, uh, you know, apply that lens to, you know, how they do life, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so you're 12 years old. Yes. You get, you get brought to this church. Like what, what about it? You know, what, what you, you, right. the way that you spoke about it, like yeah. it's, you kind of, once you experience that you're in, what was like your, right. what, what, what attracted you to it or what, what made you? Well, most were really, really, it was, it, it was Kent and his wife, Michelle. So, and this, this is, a, this is a fun story. So <laughs> we were talking basketball earlier today. Mm-hmm. Basketball is my first love. Yeah. And this is right around the time that I'm falling in love with basketball. Um, I what year? Little, what year was it? Just for our NBA was, yes. listeners. So this was all right. So sixth grade, sixth grade. One of my yeah. I turned twelve that year. I'm born in eighty two. So so this is, I guess, the summer of ninety four. Oh man. Yeah. The so basketball summer of golden era. I ju- listen, yeah. I had just watched. Um, you know, the previous summer, just watched. Jordan and the Bulls beat Phoenix in the finals. And, you know, I'm like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And, and where, where, where are you living at this time? Orlando, Florida. Okay. Yep. yep. All right. Yep. You had Shaq. We had, we, we did. We had Shaq and we had some really, really fun years right after that. Was Penny on the yeah. team too during that? Penny. Yeah. Penny was there. Okay. Penny was there. Penny, brand new. Yeah. Shaq, I think well, we got him in 92. So. I think Penny was 93. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So, so yeah, so I love basketball. So I'm mm-hmm. sitting in, I'm sitting in class in my middle school and it's one of the last days of school and someone just comes out and they're, they're passing around a flyer and it's for a basketball camp. Mm. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Big word on, on this flyer is free. So we were, we were poor, yeah. you know? And so I'm like, this is great. Free yeah. basketball camp. Don't got to convince mom. Yeah. Right. So I take it to mom and let her read it, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it says free. He's like, really? It says, I don't know. It says free, right? So I said, okay, cool. She signs off on it. My grandmother, her mom, who we were living with, um, decides like, okay, I can take you to this camp. It's right near where I work. Mm-hmm. Great. It's like, fantastic. So I go to this camp. It's just a week long. I find out it's like this Christian basketball camp and, they wanted to make it free, um, you know, so specifically so inner city kids could go. Right. And so they figured out how to pay for it and all that. Right. But what I didn't know was the last uh, the last day of camp. They brought in all of these like old white men, like into the gym, mm. like we just passed out awards and everything. And mm-hmm. I think the day's over. Um, but they, were, they had this like mentorship program. You know, they, they figure like, okay, if we get these kids for a week, then what? They're going to go back to their lives right? and may or may not have any kind of a support system, you know, for their faith. So it's like, that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll assign kids to a mentor and then the mentor can continue to just walk with them. Right? Mm. So that, that, that was the idea. I did not really discuss this part with my mom. There was an extra signature. Okay. On the sheet, yeah. you know, to, to, to sign, and she signed it, mm-hmm. and we turned it in. Were you aware beforehand that that we was a part of We did not talk about this. Um, I, 
we did not talk about this. Yeah. And so for me, it seems so weird. It seems so odd that these people are strangers. Like I literally, I don't know these people. I'm supposed to like, what go and like talk like, this is weird. So I was so, um, self-conscious and uncomfortable that I just decided, I was like, I'm not going to do it. Hmm. So I'm sitting there in the gymnasium with all these other kids and they start calling out names so that people, kids could go down. It was like three kids to one, one dude. Right. And so they call out names and I'm looking around and it doesn't seem like other kids are going either. <laughs> so now, so, so now I'm like, all right, <laughs> this seemed already seemed weird. Now it seems super weird. Like I'm not, I'm not doing this. Right. So my name gets called. And, you know, some kid next to me was like, hey, they, call, they, they, they called your name. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear nothing. <laughs> right. So then I'm like, oh, man, this, this dude, he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they called your name. I was like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you're right. <laughs> so I'm like, this kid's going to narc on me, right? Uh-huh. So, so what I did was I started to lay down in the bleachers in that place where you put your feet. Uh-huh. Right. So that I couldn't be seen. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm just going to wait this out. So that's what I did. I waited and I waited until I felt like it was long enough. Then I made my way down and excused myself to the restroom. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to hang out in the restroom until my ride gets here. Yeah. And then, then I'm home free. Mm-hmm. As soon as I hear my ride's voice, I'm like, oh, bet. Come out of the bathroom. And she turns. She's like, oh, well, here's Jeremiah now. <laughs> <laughs> she had already somehow found this dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, you know, he just he just reached his hand and I was like, Hey, my name is Ken. I want to be your friend, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm I'm getting out of here. Yeah. And he's like, Yeah, you know, I got a wife and I got a kid and you know, I got two kids and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, then he said the magic words. It was like, and we and we just put in a swimming pool. I'm like, What? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. <laughs> right. So I think my birthday was in like a week and so we like went out for my birthday and hung out. Just just had fun. Mm-hmm. He invited me to go to his church which was this Presbyterian church downtown. And really, that's all it was, man. We just, we, we hung out, you know, he, we went out to lunches a lot, went over to his house, swam in his pool, hung out with his with his kids, and just just really had a great time. Were his kids around your age? or? Yeah, they were pretty close. Um, let's see, I think I'm two years, two years older than Lindsay, and then I guess maybe four years older than John, four or five. Mm-hmm. But uh, John also loved basketball, so we had that going. You know, nice. we, Horace Grant came down yeah. you know, from Chicago. He had the goggles, Hell the yeah. Rex Specs. You totally. know what I'm saying? We had the little fake ones. It was great. Dude, the, the 90s era <laughs> pinstripe Orlando, like yeah. the baby blue on black Orlando right. jerseys right. were like right. some of the dopest jerseys. Yeah, yeah. No, I they're, love they're, those. They're good. They were real good. Yeah. But really, so that was – that was my connection to the church. Okay. And really, I mean, he treated me so well. Like we were just, we became friends and we still talk to, we still talk to this day, still a big part of my life. But really it was that relationship that connected me to the church. That's why I wanted to go back. That's why mm-hmm. I felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just after that, then I started making my own relationships and I started getting stuff out of it. But yeah, that was, that was the connection. Did you have a sense early on? Like, like I'm always trying to like, understand this because i feel like for so many people you kind of come online in a family mm-hmm. and church is already like a given yeah and i would assume at a certain point in your life you you start to understand what church is for 
At this point in your life, did you have an understanding of like what church was for or what, what you were going for? Like in your 12 year old mind, Mm. like what you had this time every week that you're going to this place. Right. And I'm wondering like, if you had any like idea in your mind about like, what, what, what am I doing this for? What is this thing? Yes. And it's, it's, yeah, that's really interesting to think about. I I don't know that I've thought about that question the way that you phrase it, but yeah, even back then, 12 years old, mm-hmm. like I felt like I'd already felt like I'd made mistakes in my life. A lot of that was just the way I treated my brothers, particularly my, my younger brother. Uh, I was a dick. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> are you, you're one of the middle, middle kids or yeah, I'm number yeah. three okay. of, of the five. Right. So, yeah. and the oldest four of us were born like really close together. Mm-hmm. And I just, man, I was just, I was not, I was not great. I was terrible. Okay. But I felt, and I felt bad about it. And then, you know, if I got in fight at school or something like that, like I just knew, I I knew when I was being a dick, Mm -hmm. you know? And yet there was sometimes I kind of wanted to be a dick, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So uh, the the way that I treated my mom, you know, there was all of these different things. So I had this experience, this religious experience when I was in fifth grade. Okay. Let's talk about that. All right. All right. So, so the church right down the street, like, I mean, literally on the corner, not the next corner or the, on the, the corner right there by the stop sign, Kingsway Baptist church. So that summer, um, they had a few programs that were free. One was like vacation Bible school. I don't Mm. know if you know about this phenomenon. I don't. Never heard. It is. It's essentially a church camp. It usually lasts a week or less, a portion of a week, and geared towards kids. You go, you play, you know, they got cookies and juice and the whole thing, but Mm -hmm. you know, they want to teach you about Jesus and whatnot. Well, in um, typical, yeah, I'll say in typical Baptist style, a lot of it centered around sin, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, at this point, I had been going to church for a long time, like I said, some of my earliest memories in church. So whenever I would go to church, especially Sunday school, they're asking questions and Hey, you get the question, right? You know, you get some candy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got this. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know yeah, these yeah. stories. Yeah. Noah. Okay. I yeah. got a popsicle. Right. Yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah. So, um, David beat Goliath. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I go, I go to this thing and then as much as I'd been in Sunday school, or whatever, like, I had never heard people like really talk about sin that way. Mm. And there was something in me that connected with it because again, I I felt like I was being a dick and for someone to say like, yeah, you know what? Like humans do some really shitty things. And you know, yet there was something that Jesus did where you could like be forgiven at that particular time. That was like groundbreaking news for me. Okay. Because I, that's what I was struggling with. You felt like you had, you were a bad kid or you had all this oh, yeah. sin on your shoulders. Right. I, and, I, and I really did at that, at that age. And I think mm-hmm. part of that was because there, there were a lot of things my family did well. And there's a lot of things my family didn't do well. Articulating forgiveness was not something that <laughs> okay. we did well. Yeah. And so it made sense. Like I, yeah, I, I knew I did bad things. 
but there really wasn't this language. We didn't have this process like, hey, you did that. Okay, you feel better. All right, well, I forgive you. Like, uh, No, we didn't do that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so at that time, this idea that I could be forgiven for these terrible things, you know, that you know, I, I really felt bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I really did. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. And I remember, you know, there was like this whole special prayer for you to pray. And I prayed the special prayer. Um, and I just remember being like so happy mm. that I literally – Granted, it wasn't far, but I literally skipped home. Wow. Like I was, <laughs> went home and then I was like, who would understand this? I was like, my grandmother, she goes to church all the time. Mm. So I went, told my grandma all about it. And then she gave me like this little, uh, this tiny little Bible and I started reading it. Wow. Um, so, so, so yeah, so yeah, that, yeah, no, at that time I definitely had an idea of what church was for. Um, you know, some of my ideas it, now, you know, might be a little bit different, but did yeah. So that, that moment that you felt that like relief, mm. was that, did that come in like a, were you having a confession or did you, did you have to repent or like, how does how did that work? Ah, or was it just yeah, learning about the yeah. concepts in itself lifted that weight? Yeah. Well, it, it was, there was a confession element kind of, sort of, but that confession element was like personal. It was like, you can just say that part to God quietly. Mm. Right. So, so yeah, it was very different than, you know catholic church mm -hmm. you can go talk to priests and you can get more specific about what it is right they're like okay that's that's not really necessary you can just tell god that interesting so, yeah that's how it was wow. yeah what a radical thought yeah you can yeah you can uh confess to god and forgive yourself right right there's still a lot of power in that i i really think so and this has become something that is like really important to me now because I do think that the the weight of our actions and decisions, like it crushes people. And I think a lot of people, you know, suffer with that. Mm -hmm. And, and yet in a lot of places in society, we don't really have those mechanisms for forgiveness. Right. Sometimes there's a lot of, Hey, you need to understand that this behavior is wrong which is great. Sometimes it's not also accompanied with, <laughs> okay, you know, say you're sorry. It's like, mm -hmm. I love you. I know. Like we're all trying. I know it's hard. Like mm -hmm. that doesn't always happen. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And I find myself gravitating towards, you know, people who are suffering under that weight. Right. Well, yeah. and also not, not only, you know, from, from external sources, but how many, how many of us carry deep self-loathing or, or right. you know, make mistakes and we, uh, we hate ourselves for it and we carry around all this, the weight of our own right. anger that's directed inward. And, Oof. you know, that's <laughs> speaking from experience. It's, it's only in the last couple of years, I think, that I've really started to push past, you know, some of the deepest anger that I've had to myself right. and really learn to like, forgive and be gentle with myself and be mm -hmm. loving with mm -hmm. myself and you know they weren't like alien concepts mm -hmm. but it took me like actively push like actively aiming for like forgiveness directed right. inward right you know? yeah. maybe i wasn't using all the same terms right. yeah. but like we got to the same place you right know? and it was such a liberating feeling to like suddenly realize like hey like I got to be on my, my side. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm not on my side, who's going to be on my side? Right. You know, like, right. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so the, 
yeah, the way that I would say it, you know, is that my anger towards myself and my attitudes towards myself, for me, that cause more destruction, like even more destruction than the outside forces. Like, sure, I've had some people in my life mm-hmm. not be fans of me and, <laughs> you know, say some awful, terrible things. And it's certainly to the point where it, you know, had a profound impact. Mm-hmm. For me, even more than that was the the self-loathing. And yeah, stuff. yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, yeah. even there's usually, I think, even if it is an external source, it's often the like internal reaction, you know, right. that is really where you feel the most pain from it. Right, As right. you continue, because you might get hit by somody, mm-hmm, but then mm-hmm, you're going to keep mm-hmm. hitting yourself right. as you replay that memory. Yes, yes. If you're not able to process <laughs> it, you know, in, in yes, a healthy way. Yes, yes. So, so I'll give you, I'll give you an, uh, an an example of that. And again, this is a huge part of of my of my story. So, middle school church, like I said, I have an idea of what it's for. Mm-hmm. I get to high school, and eventually start thinking about college and all of that. I was like, what do I want to do? Well, I feel like, Hey, you know what? I feel like I'm called to do something in the church. And mm-hmm. at that time I was like, I'd spent quite a bit of time in our youth department, the youth ministry, you know, middle school, high schoolers had mm-hmm. all kinds of camps and different things. And mm-hmm. so I was like that. I was like, I can see myself doing that. So I go to a religious school, like, one of the most <laughs> famous religious schools in America for high school to, for, for college. Oh, for college. Okay. Yeah. So I ended up going to Liberty university. Okay. Big Baptist school. Where um, was that located? This was in Lynchburg, Virginia. Okay. Right. And I'm talking like this Southern Baptist. This is conservative. Mm-hmm. I, when I got onto campus, they changed the rule after the first semester I was there, but I got on campus. We had a dress code that included, you know, fellas wearing a tie. There was definitely supposed to be no sex, yeah. no drinking, yeah. like no, like none All of the that, things right? that most people go to college for. <laughs> right. So I go there and then, you know, I'm beating myself up because I'm doing some of these things. Yeah. And then I don't even like, I struggle. Like I, I, I don't even graduate. Okay. I get pretty close. And then I decide I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell people I graduated. I'm, <laughs> sick, I'm sick of this. Yeah. So I just lied about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I felt internally, I felt bad about it. But once I like started lying about it, I was like, well, nah, I can't <laughs> like, I'm starting to get jobs and stuff. I can't like, I can't tell people now. Right. Right. right you're in too deep. Right. That got married. Oh, Wow. And part of the deal, like, because it was this long, drawn out process, mm-hmm. you know, part of, part of that deal was, I want, I want to make sure that I want to see you finish this before we get married. So, like, that was one person that I had to like look in the eye and like just lie to. Mm. Right. So wait, your wife got married on the condition that mm-hmm. you would finish your mm-hmm. your degree. Right. Was she aware that you hadn't finished it yet? No. Okay. Because I. <laughs> Just straight. I was like, okay, I finally did it. Finally finished my last paper. Send it in. We're good to go. Mm-hmm. Right? Wow. So, yeah. So it took me, it really took until after we split up for me to realize that a lot of the anger that I had, which I thought was directed towards her, 
a lot of that was at myself. I couldn't be honest. And every time the idea would come up, every time, I would just immediately just stuff it. I was like, nope, I can't talk about that because there's too much. My whole world would fall apart. There's too, nope, I can't deal with it. So I just have to ignore it. Think about something else. Sounds exhausting. Yes. That's <laughs> such a great word. Yeah. Exhausting. And the anger didn't go away. It yeah. just simmered and mm-hmm. until it finally you know, started to bubble up. And it was like, all right, well. I guess you're dealing with it now. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. Wild. So, yeah, yeah I, I can't imagine because, like, I think for me, like, one of my biggest fears would be to be in a relationship where I couldn't be mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. honest about, mm-hmm. like, who I am and what I'm feeling and thinking. Right. But I see a lot of people in that because I see a lot of people in that dynamic. Right. So I just can only imagine, like, you're laying down mm. next to someone every night. You know, with like this a phony. Right. You got yeah, this big secret. Right. And and it's like a f- pretty fundamental one to your right. whole re- relationship. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I. I think a lot of my self-sabotage, some of my unhealthy behaviors. Come from that, come from that inward anger more, more, more so than outward anger. And mm-hmm. I'm and I'm positive it's different for some people. Yeah. You know, but yeah, for me. Pff, oh, man. I was not gentle with myself and therefore I don't think I could really be gentle with other people. Mm. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering like how that did that internal anger like manifest in external behaviors and ways. Mm -hmm. Like how did that shape Mm -hmm. your. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my goodness. Um, A lot of it was agitation being a dick mm-hmm. you know being short uh, argumentative about all kinds of stuff yeah um and and oh my goodness i was i was the honesty police mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> somehow that's not surprising <laughs> right like, yeah. i oh man i yes i was the honesty police could not face my own dishonesty mm-hmm. but I had a hypersensitivity to it because right. I'm very familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, that, that it's easy to uh, project when you're carrying that, right. Oh, you start to get paranoid goodness. and yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I did a lot of that. I certainly, you know, I ate a lot of my feelings. Um, yeah. Avoidance big time in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Back then I was not, I started drinking a little more, but when I mean a little more, I mean, I'm having like maybe four drinks a week, mm-hmm. you know, like it was, you know, pretty life for, for, right. for college. And I didn't even, I didn't even, I didn't even start smoking. I smoked weed for the first time. I was 32. Okay. I was in Europe. I was like, well, if I'm going to be in Amsterdam. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> Hell yeah. So yeah. So this was before all that. Those weren't. How long did your marriage, did the marriage last? Six years. Wow. Six years of living like that. Right. That's intense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It took definitely, definitely took a lot of work to really even forgive myself for that because Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I noticed this in some of my family too. Like, like my mom, my mom really didn't want me to make the same mistake she made. And so it was like she had this hypersensitivity towards certain mistakes in her life that mm-hmm. she felt, you know, were very destructive. 
And I think, you know, for myself, similarly, like there's just certain things that I was like, okay, yeah, there's grace for this, there's grace for that, but it's like, I really don't want to do that. And I really don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, then what do you do when you do that? <laughs> right. You know, right? Like, now, now I made it out to be this big thing. And now I was like, all right, well, here I am. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, it took a, you know, divorce was one of those things for me. Was it, uh, was there like a, yeah. a, a singular moment or thing that caused it to end? Or was it just a, a series of buildups or? I mean, I think there was certainly a singular event, a singular moment that caused our separation Okay. for sure. Yeah. And that really was when the, the, the lid came off of the anger. Um, yeah. One, one night argument, mm-hmm. uh, after like not even the first argument of the day. Right. <laughs> like simmering. Uh, right. And then I just start breaking shit in the house, mm-hmm. you know, and for our remote, listeners, throwing... they should know you're not a small dude. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. At that time I was, you know, you know, still six, four, but Uh I was, I was probably closer to two forty. Okay. Probably at the time. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Looks looks way different than when I break stuff. Right. 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 (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and this is not, this is, this is just, it's hard to overstate. Like this is not normal behavior for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not someone that typically blows up. No. Uh, even verbally. Right. Breaking anything was just just not something that I do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I did it that night, and um, that precipitated the, the the split. Looking back on it now, um, I I mean we 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 hadn't been doing well for quite for quite a while up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know so. I, I, you could say it was over before then or, yeah, or whatever, yeah. but yeah. Did you, have you guys, are you still in contact with your, with your no, ex? Okay. Nope. Not even a little bit. Yeah. 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 That, and that's something that, something I tell people today is that, you know, there's consequences with the shit we do. I do believe in grace and forgiveness. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And yet, some relationships are not going to be mended. Right. So for me moving forward, it's, it's like, all right, I need, I need to know that there's consequences for my actions. Mm-hmm. And as much as some of them like really suck and you might want it to be different or whatever, it's like sometimes that's the, that's the surprise of admission. That's yeah. That's the learning lesson. Oh, I, I feel yeah. you, man. It's hard. It's, it's really hard for me. Uh, I have a really hard time when I feel like there's someone out there that doesn't wish me well yeah, or is like angry at me. Right. And I do have this tendency to like, sometimes I can even overextend mm-hmm. trying to fix it right, right. to the point of where it's like, no, like I don't have the, that power. Always. Right, you right, know, I can right. do as much as I can, but I think there is a real grace in being able to let go. Yeah. And, and like, you know, yes, you make your efforts and you, you, you try to do as much as you can on your side. Exactly. But, uh, but, but that is definitely something that's hard. It's like, yes. Feeling like there's a malevolent energy out there. directly. Right, you, right, right. right. I, I know. Look, every time, like every time I go home and you know, Orlando's not exactly hop, skip and jump away. So right. I don't, not like I'm going home all the time, mm-hmm. but yeah, every time I go home, I'm just like, 
yeah, there's there's a you know there's there's a group of people who uh, probably are not fans, right? And and honestly, like I don't necessarily even know who they are mm-hmm. because when stuff happens like that, it's not like people are like make sure they send an email. Just so you know, right? We are no longer right. right. It's just, totally. like, people just stop talking to each other. It's like, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> maybe you get confirmation one day, maybe you don't. Like right. whatever. So, so you. Uh... So you're out of this relationship. You get this right. divorce. Yeah. And uh, so what, what happens then? So what happens then? So, so yeah, so I'm licking my wounds mm-hmm. and, and really coming to terms and trying to figure out, like, why did I, why did I do that? Like, why did I, why did I lie? Starting to realize, like, oh, yeah, well, I... I have this tendency to want to be further along a path than I am. Um, and part of that is tied to my own sense of self-worth. Mm. It's funny, you know, people meet me and I know a lot of people assume like, oh my gosh, he's so confident and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> partly true. <laughs> but I also have very deep insecurities. Oh, yeah. Well, extra, contrary to popular belief as another extrovert like mm-hmm. yourself, a lot of times we use our extrovertedness to mask the, the insecurity and the, the anxiety that well. we're feeling internally. Right. I try to explain that to my friends. I'm like, if you hear me yapping and talking a whole right, lot, it's, right. it's a coping mechanism that I've learned because mm-hmm. if I can make the other person feel comfortable, yep. at least one of us does and I can right. kind of perform that, right. you know, right. And right. which is also exhausting. Right. <laughs> right. 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 So, so yeah, so I'm doing, I'm doing a lot of work. I'm, I'm learning and, and just, you know, doing a lot of therapy, just all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the key things that I did, I'm like, okay, well now I'm, I have all this freedom. I could do whatever I want with my money. I can do whatever I want with my time. You know, I don't have to check in with someone and, you know, obviously there's a certain amount of loss in that, but I was like, it also provides a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean into some things. I'm going to do some things that I've kind of always wanted to do. Never give myself permission. Because that was one of the other things I realized is that it wasn't really, it, was, it wouldn't have been as accurate for me to say, oh, well, Jeremiah, you do these things because of other people. I was like, even without those people, like, I think I would have struggled to give myself permission to do X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. to, to live like myself and just to be honest and truthful. Because I already, before the other people even speak, I already have these insecurities. I already have these doubts. I already feel like it's going to go a certain way. So I had always wanted to go. We have uh, downtown Orlando. We have this, this sat comedy lab. Mm. And it's, you know, they, they do shows and everything, but they also do improv classes. I was like, always, it's like, I go to a show and I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks like so much fun. I should do it. And so I think it was, it was probably around New Year's, which was like my ex's birthday is like on December 31st. Oh, wow. Right. Mm -hmm. And so every year it was like a party, Mm -hmm. you know? And so now post that, it's kind of hard to just ignore that on the calendar you know what I mean <laughs> and so I, I think I think I kind of have drunkenly like signed up for the level one class okay and like, 
<laughs> and then I went and I did it. And like the level one class, I think in, in a way, I mean, it'd be a little dramatic in a way it saved my life or at least mm. it opened up um, this whole other side of me. And most of it was, I remember the focus being, Hey, just do something. It's like, we all have this little person in our head that tells us, don't do that. That's dumb. Mm-hmm. No, don't say that's not even funny. No, why, yeah. why would you No. And I'm, I identify with that. So I was like, yes, I do. But now here's this group and we're just encouraged. Like, fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, totally. like, just put something out there. Just yeah, do it. Yeah. And and then the whole concept of yes and and I just oh, started yeah. I was like look I'm just gonna say yeah, if something mm-hmm. if I get an opportunity I'm just gonna do it and do they give you the ten commandments of comedy improv I don't remember ten commandments because we got that's what, what I because I did what, improv when get? I was little uh-huh. and that was you know shout out Jasper Thelen who I've had on this podcast hey. he's an improv master but uh, one of them was uh, just say yes mm-hmm. do or do not there is no try <laughs> Uh, steer clear of the pee-pee jokes. Uh, there's just, you know, it was like yeah. a goofy list yeah. of 10, 10 commandments to help guide you. But right. uh, actions speak louder than words, stuff like mm. that, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that's cool. So you started doing improv. I did. Was I it a performance class? Did you do it in front of a crowd or was it just like a workshop? Or? So, the, so the end of level one, we uh, it culminated in a showcase. So we did get to perform in front of other people. And I think that spurred me on more. You know, I got to invite, you know, these friends that I had. And some of them came. And they're like, oh, my gosh, it was so great. I was like, all right, sweet. I'm going to do level two. What, what was it like for you to perform? Was that your first time on stage? <sighs> kind of. It, it, it's a different thing. So in a sense, um, you know, by that point, you know, I had worked in churches. And I'd been a youth pastor for a while. Um you know, I delivered messages, sermons. Mm-hmm. This was totally different. For whatever reason, I don't know. I felt more comfortable doing that. I well, yeah, you got to be funny, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, <laughs> or you're I trying to try. entertain, right? <laughs> yeah, now, now, yeah, this was, and it was like a literal, actual stage. And maybe it was because, like, I grew up in church mm-hmm. that it felt so comfortable. I don't know, but this was very different. So, in that sense, you know, not counting like school plays you're forced to do, you know, that kind of thing, like. Yeah, I think this was like the first time on stage. And I freaking lo- like I was so pumped. Like everyone, you know, a lot of people in my group were nervous. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, let's go. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's do this. And it, yeah, it was it was glorious. It was great. It was so good. And I was like, How, why did it take me this long to do it? Mm-hmm. Well, the answer was me. Because I always like, oh, well, you know, what if you do these? It'll be goofy. It'll be silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's funny, like, you know, I I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of the podcasts that I really like are comedian podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, you know, you listen to enough of them and, and you start to hear everybody's story about how they got into comedy. And, yeah. um, and one of the things I've noticed, it's kind of like this working working thesis that I have about life, which is I think that for many, if not all people in this world, uh, especially with people that, that find a creative path, 
I think a lot of people spend a lot of time feeling really lost. Mm. Maybe they get to a place where they hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. and the, the lucky ones end up finding a thing that for them becomes Mm. almost like their own church. Right. And I think for stand up, the way that I hear stand up comics talk about finding comedy it's very similar to the way that like a born again Christian Mm -hmm. will talk about finding Jesus where you see these people that are like have deep trauma. They've dealt with their whole life and they're an addict or they're this. And suddenly they find this community where their weirdness, their foibles, like they're able to like turn, you know, whatever it's an alk it's not like an alchemy process mm. where they take whatever it is that's been hurting them yeah. that they're ashamed of, that right. they're embarrassed of. Right. And they spin that into gold. They spin it into comedy. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of it's by just being themselves and being seen as themselves, being honest. Like so much of the best mm. comedy is just honesty told in a funny way. Right? There's a lot of humor in a, in a truth. Right. And so like listening to you talk about this, you know, and, and that feeling that you got, cause I've felt it myself in different contexts. Like, it's just interesting. You know, we all have to find our own church, whether that's yeah. a real physical church or right, whether right. that's uh, some sort of practice that, that liberates our minds and, right. and inspires us. Um, and, and part of finding a church is not only finding something to do, but also finding a community. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's Yeah. So you're, so how old are you at this point when you're doing the improv? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this was 2016. Okay. 2016. Yeah. 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 2016. So I would, I would turn, I'm born in 82. So, so what's that? 34. Yeah. 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 So 34. Now, now, okay. So here, here's the other thing. You know, I, I mentioned my, I believe that I was holding myself back more than other people. Mm-hmm. Now, when I look back, as far back as it goes, and I can remember middle school, elementary, whatever, there were people who told me, "Oh my gosh, like you would be so good on stage." Mm. So, so it's not like I never received you know, that positive affirmation I did, but my insecurity was so deep. Meh. I put that on the shelf. I was like, now all the jokers that told me that I would look silly. Mm. That's what I listened to. Right. So that's why, again, I, I was like, I really think it was more me than, than, than other people. Mm-hmm. Not that anyone, you know, not like I'd never heard a negative word in my right, life. Right. Believe me. No, but that's, but, I mean, that's an important revelation that, yeah. that, uh, Again, even if it is other people, mm-hmm. like you can choose to listen, right? And you can choose to believe those right. words, you know? right? And that, and I think that's that's been part of my growth process is leaning into that, finding my own voice, finding my own compass. I don't need other people to tell me, "Oh, you're good at this or you're good at that." It's nice. Mm-hmm. And believe me, I think the confirmation is important, you know, yeah, <laughs> let yeah. me know I'm not delusional. Yeah. But like, but yeah, you know, find it, finding that compass. And I really do. I think improv was for me, the start of that to, to the point that when people meet me today, 
they think that the way I am is, is just normal. Like, oh, this is Jeremiah. This is how Jeremiah is. Yeah. And I'm just like, you have no idea like, how new <laughs> this is. You have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I met you, I, I got this sense that I was seeing like a person in transition. Like I saw, and, and even in the months that I've known you, like Sweet. I've witnessed, uh, you know, you pass through these changes and like, mm-hmm. and, and, and really like, uh, in this courageous way, like open yourself up and, and kind of mm. explore uh, new, you know, dimensions of yourself, you know, both internally and externally, but you know, it's like, Sweet. you know, do you, so, do you, do you have, do you have any examples of that? I'm, I'm yeah. Curious. Well, I mean, you know, when I met you, you know, I think the first night we, we were at a party at, at Zev's and, right. um, and I think we were talking, we got into a long conversation about religion and sounds right. But then we ended up doing a bunch of whippets. <laughs> That's right. You know, and, That's right. and I was <laughs> sitting at one point I'm sitting next to you and I'm like, we're like huddled in this corner and I'm just like, you know, chasing the dragon on the whippet train. <laughs> like everything's all weird and, and trippy. And I'm like, man, I got to I'm sitting next to a preacher and we're, we're like high as a kite. And, but the thing that was so cool, interesting to me about it was that here I had this person next to me that was, you know, engaged in all of this, but there was an Mm. intention behind it. Cause Mm. I also saw you uh, as kind of this spiritual seeker. Like to to me, when I Mm. see you at parties, whether it's doing psychedelics or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, you're jumping up and doing a strip tease, which I sadly missed, you know, but like, you know, uh, I see you like saying yes and taking these, right. these social risks and, but, but going through these experiences and, and we've talked about this in the past, mm. um, with the intention that it's actually going to help you, uh, to be a spiritual leader, to be a guide right, for right. others. You know, having you, you're almost like the, yeah. are you familiar with gonzo journalism? No. So gonzo journalism was this thing, it, you know, in the sixties, really like, if you think about, if you've heard of like, uh, Hunter S Thompson, Nope. fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Yes. Okay. He's, he was a author, a journalist that championed this style of journalism called gonzo journalism, which really puts where the journalist puts themselves in the middle of whatever it is they're covering kind of like in the way Mm. like an anthropologist would where Mm -hmm. you know hunter s thompson would go and take all the drugs get Uh, right in the middle of the party do it to the nth degree right and then go sit down and write about the experience from the insider perspective oh interesting so you know and um what was it was ken kesey another one there's there's a whole that you know it was a tradition that grew out of the 60s of these people that were like no i'm not just gonna write about people take an asset and right. riding their Harley, you know, like at one point Hunter S Thompson, he wrote this great book called hell's angels where he went and embedded himself in the hell's angels. And it's a great, it's a, it's a really good book. I highly That's recommend hardcore. it. It's some beautiful wow. writing, Wow. you know, and at one point he just gets his ass kicked, right. you know, cause that's, it was just kind of inevitable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and all of it is like this very visceral look into the life that like, if he had taken the, you know, the square outsider perspective and didn't really get into the right, mix, right, right, he never right, would have right, saw. Right. So 
I think you're a bit of a gonzo preacher, you know. I, you know, I I like that. Um and here and here's why. So January 2017, you know, so almost four and a half years ago mm-hmm. is when I moved out here. Okay. All right. Going to seminary. So I'm saying goodbye to my friends. Yeah. And several of them said some version of California is great. Go out and enjoy it. It's beautiful. You're going to love it. Just don't become one of those crazy liberals. <laughs> Which is funny on so many levels oh, now, yeah, totally. but, but, but even then, like part of the reason why I was coming out here mm-hmm. was because I had such good experiences with some of my friends out here. There was a guy, there was a guy, one of my good friends, Bentley, mm-hmm. he moved out here several years ago and he went to the same seminary that I went to. Okay. Well, right when I was starting to go through the divorce, I called him up. And I'm like, look, I got I got some vacation time and I I kinda wanna get away mm-hmm. and I don't also like to see you. Can I come hang in San Francisco? I've never been out there before. He's like, Absolutely. Came out here, had a blast, met a bunch of his friends and everything. I had a great time. Mm-hmm. So when I would hear people, you know, issue this warning, to me I'm like, these 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 are people just like you. Right. And of course, these people are going to, you know, they're going to be awesome and weird and quirky and, you know, hypocritical and just like we all are, you know, so I didn't I, I didn't like that. Not only that, but, you know, to, to go back to uh, the the first time I smoked weed. Mm-hmm. I had been curious about weed, you know, before I was 32, the first time I'd been curious for a while. The crazy part is I literally grew up around weed. Like my neighborhood was a neighborhood you go to buy weed. Right. My neighbor, like right the neighbor right next door, you know, sold weed. Mm-hmm. And the two corners on the end, and the cor- like, my friend, it was around, but I never, I never had a, uh, I never had a desire. Like, I don't know if you they had the the dare program when you were in school. Oh yeah, I, I caught the tail end of it. Yeah. I mean, by the time I was in it, it was a joke. But you know. yeah. But I'm very familiar with, with we, we, we had like a, we actually had like an improv troupe come and do this whole play. It was hilarious. Like oh, we're man. in middle school. I forget what it was called, but they would do like the kind of broad, it was like a Broadway, like cats kind of thing where yep, they're all yep, yep. dressed like different animals. Oh, and there was amazing. like the like cat that smoked cigarettes. And then uh, there was like the different, you know, every animal idea. did a different drug. <laughs> and then there was like a vulture that like had all these pills in a bag. And I just remember like the vulture pulled it out and it's like, it's like, Oh my God, those are cocaine pills. And I just remember like, I was like in fifth or sixth grade and I was like, I'm pretty sure you don't do cocaine in a pill form. Like I was like, even at that age, I like knew that these guys, right. I was like, none of these guys have done this, right. like know what they're talking about, you know? See, so, so you started, <laughs> you, you had the reference. Yeah. I did not. Okay. So even though I'm in the neighborhood and it was all around mm-hmm. in part because my particular family was very protective and like, right. Would just tell people, it's like, not my kids, not my kids. Right. And they respected it. And yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I talked to people 
And then I go to college and I start reading things and I start mm-hmm. to find out, you know, I was like, okay, so some of this, some of this stuff is not accurate. Some mm-hmm. of this is just straight bullshit. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. I don't, I have no personal experience. So when Amsterdam was right around the corner, mm. I, I went into it like a freaking, um, you know, gonzo journalist yeah. being like, I want to know for myself, because I have some people telling me that, oh, weed is fine, it's better than alcohol, and you can drive on it, and blah, blah, blah. And I got other people being, you know, like, it's the devil, and it'll suck you in, and there's a gateway and all this, right? Mm -hmm. I go there, and (laughs) so my my ex-wife was, it was our plan. Like, we were going to do this. Mm -hmm. She bails before we go. Okay. Uh, She decides on moral grounds not to do it. She had some conversation with the ladies at her Bible study. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, Hey, so you you're know what? still together in your relationship. At <laughs> right. At this okay. point. Yes. Yeah. This was, yeah, this was, this was kind of the beginning of the, no, mm-hmm. this was the beginning of the end, this particular trip. But had you talked about it with your own, like, like your, uh, Kent or members of your church? Had you, had you had that conversation about weed? And, Oh yeah. I mean, I would, yeah, I would definitely talk about it and talked about it with friends and, I mean, they knew mm-hmm. that Amsterdam's coming up and I'm looking forward to trying it. And yeah, I would. Yeah, I definitely talked about it. Okay. So we get there, roll up to a shop mm-hmm. and, you know, once it's my turn, I was like, hey, you know, what's up? What you need? Whatever. And I was like, well, I don't know. He's like, well, where are you from? I'm from Florida. He's like, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. How's the weed in Florida? I was like, I wouldn't know. Yeah. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, I wouldn't know. Never. It's like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, well, this is why I'm here. It's like, well, what do you want? You want, you know, I was like, I don't really know what I want because yeah. I, like, I've yeah. never had these, I've yeah. never had this conversation. What is weed? Right. You know, he's like, well, do you want like a high? You want to like laugh? I want to laugh. Yes. That's what I want to do. Or do you want to relax? Pfft, no. I'm like, I want to yeah. laugh. Yeah. All right. Great. Gives me a joint and then. So I'm like smoking this joint by myself. I mm. can't wait. Like I'm, I'm yeah. outside. I'm like, whatever. I don't know if we can are go you, on the sidewalk, but I'm about to. Are you with friends or are you by it's your, your... just me and my just, ex. Okay. Just the two of us. This oh, was, she was with this you. Was, yeah. This was okay. part of a uh, a 20 day trip that we did in Europe. Gotcha. Yeah. So. Uh, so you have a chaperone. I, I have a chaperone. <laughs> so. And she's never smoked before either. Right. So now she's just watching me. And I'm smoking. I'm smoking. Nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't think you're doing it right. <laughs> I'm like, I was looking at her like, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so I swear, I swear this is what she said verbatim. The ladies in my Bible study said, if you're not coughing, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hobart, the crazy thing is like, after a while, I was like, Maybe she's got a point. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not inhaling. And I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't. So I started inhaling, and now I'm coughing my eyeballs yeah, out. Yeah, there you go. Like, I... Yeah. <laughs> right? So I kill the rest... I kill this joint, which, you know, seems like I smoked a full joint, but I probably smoked maybe like a quarter of it or half Still of it. Still a lot. Still a lot for the first time. Yeah. Hobart, nothing. Okay. So I'm like, all right, look, let's just, let's figure out our dinner plans, figure out where we're going to go. And then, you know, I'm sure there's so many shops, like we'll find another one. So that's what we do. We're going to hit this Indian restaurant. Great. 
I look at the map. Okay, here's another shop. I roll in there. Now I roll in like a badass, right? Because right, I got like, all I got this experience. experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell them, I was like, listen, I just smoked weed for the first time. I just killed this joint. Ain't do, ain't do nothing. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to need something stronger. He's like, well, what did you have? I don't know. He's <laughs> like, well, all right. How about this? It's not as strong as that we have, but it's, it's pretty strong. Cool. I was like, I don't care what the name of it is. Let's go. I go out there and I'm like, I like kill half this thing. Coughing my eyeballs out again. Yeah. And now I'm just like mad. And I was like, I can't. This, it hurts so much. Yeah, like yeah. I'm coughing so hard. Mm-hmm. I was like, forget it. I throw it away. I was like, look, we got another day. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We start walking through the restaurant and then at <laughs> some point I just stop. Right in the middle of the sidewalk. I just stop. She turns around. I was like, what? Cause I like dropped her hand. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What? And I said, I think it's happening. (laughs) (laughs) So now she wants to know what what, was his life, you know? So and I'm like, I know what you're doing. I was like, You're trying to you're trying to mess with me. You want me to say something silly, but it's not gonna happen. Yeah. So I keep walking. They're like, All right, listen, this is what it's like. Yeah. (laughs) I could help myself. Yeah. (laughs) I was I ended up getting so stoned by the time we got to the restaurant, mm-hmm. ordered food, and I was just like, babe, I think something's wrong. Like, <laughs> my heart is beating so fast. Oh, yeah. I'm so hot and I'm sweaty. And it's like, and my, my arms, my shoulders feel heavy. Like, I don't, it feels like I can't move them. And I was like, and I'm so hot. I'm so sweat. I'm so hot. I think something's wrong. I was like, I don't know. We might need to do something. Mm-hmm. She's like, Jeremiah? You still have on your coat. <laughs> this is like December in Amsterdam, so it's freezing, oh, right? Totally. So I have on hat, couple coats, you know, like probably a scarf. I don't know. Like I am. <laughs> it's like oh, okay. She's like, take it off. I was like, I'm gonna need you to help me take it off. Yeah. <laughs> like, I couldn't move my arm. Like the fork and spoon got there, and I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but but all that to say, after that experience, I was like, okay. So, I call bullshit on the people who say that you can drive because, no, there's definitely an amount that you can have oh, where you should not operate a motor vehicle. Sure. So, I call bullshit there. I call bullshit on these other jokers, who right? And so, I was like, no, I need that firsthand experience so that I can be a real journalism. Mm-hmm. So, yes, what you said about the gonzo journalism, that fits. Oh, yeah. Was your was your wife at the time? Was she like amused, or what was her what was her her attitude towards you? Well, she was amused at first. Yeah. Um. But she 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 doesn't like babysitting. <laughs> that that, that mm-hmm. was not fun for her. Right. And I... <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, you're a, you're a pretty big baby to sit. So I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. that heavy feeling, man. That was one that. Uh... That was the first thing I remember uh, the first time I got high and it was out in my, I think I was like 14, 15. Mm-hmm. It was a sunny day up until that point. Uh, you know, I waited longer than, you know, in my community that I grew up in, like, you know, all our parents, my mom grew weed my whole childhood. I used to yeah. water her plants 
and she was always you know we were late to so every soccer game oh, we i still struggle with being late yeah <laughs> i'm from you know i'm from the hippie lands you know so you know for most of my friends like you know you get you steal your parents stash is how you first get high you gotcha. know? and and my brother started before me my little brother and i used to like you know i was definitely judgmental and i didn't want him to do it mm-hmm. and um and then there was this point where I, in freshman year, where like I first drank, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like you know, so like for freshman a, year high school, mm-hmm. gotcha. For like halfway through maybe. So for a couple months, when my brother and his friends would smoke weed, well, I would just drink. Yeah. You know, and that was like you know I'm gonna get we're all gonna get altered in our state, you know. And I remember there's this one day where we're sitting out, sunny summer day. Parents are off on a hike or something, probably getting high. And it's like, okay, there's nothing to drink. Hmm. And they've been trying to get me high for, for about a month or two now. Yeah. Like, every time they hang out, they're like, and I've tried to hit the bowl and I cough the bowl out. <laughs> I don't inhale right. I don't take it in. Right, right. I don't get high. <sighs> so this time I, uh, I do hit it and I definitely cough the bowl out again. Hmm. And, uh, and I just remember sitting in the lawn chair and I just felt so like you just described, like so heavy, like 300 pounds. Right. And I'm just giggling about that. That was really funny <laughs> to me that I felt so heavy. And then I'm just staring at the lawn and I get tunnel vision and mm-hmm. it, like the lawn looked like this. Uh, I don't know. I used to play this computer game back in the day called age of empires. Yeah. You remember? Age oh, of yeah. Empires? Uh-huh. So I'm looking at the grass and it's like, looks like the map of age of empires. <laughs> and I'm just like totally in that world. Like, you know, zoning in on oh, it, man. looking for the elephants. That's know? right. That's right. You gotta get some food going. Yeah. And then the food, man, the food never tasted so good than right. as it did that day. Right. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's interesting with, with, you know, especially with weed, it's changed. The, the feeling has changed so much mm-hmm. over the course of my life. And, uh, you know, I'm still like trying to change my relationship with it again. Cause mm-hmm. for many years, you know, I'm at the point now where like, I have a really hard time being around people on it. I get okay. so self-conscious and uh, I'm like, lose all my yeah. social faculties. Right, and right, to right. me, it feels like I feel so hamstrung when I'm in that state. Right. That I I have way more fun around other people when I'm not in that way. Right. I really enjoy it when I'm alone Mm. and I can just really dive into like my me time. Right. You know, but, uh, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, I see, I relate to that. Um, and I think for me, that's why it was like a big deal to, it was like who I was around. Was you know there were certain people that I would feel comfortable enough mm-hmm. that once I started to get into that place where I started to second guess myself like did I just do something stupid did I just say if I was around people who I trusted if I do something real dumb they they'll call me out and they'll let me know they'll take me aside have a conversation whatever needs to be done mm-hmm. but if it's just kind of like a whatever there's gonna be grace for that and we'll move on it'll mm-hmm. never even be brought up again yeah I don't feel comfortable with random strangers like that or people I just met. There's, there's yeah. certain people. And so, um, yeah, it was really important. You know, who, who I was around for a long time. I would not even, you know, even smoking weed at a party or something like that. Like I do some, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I wasn't going to get to that place yeah. where I started to doubt and yeah. 
It's funny because it's it flipped like that for me. Because when I was in high school, mm -hmm. I would go to parties with my bong. I would fucking make brownies. <laughs> I would, you know, like I could he do no hard. wrong. Like it, I, could, I was just giggly and social. And, right, right. And uh, and as I got older, it really changed. Where I, I, I now I get, yeah. you know, it's I get a lot of paranoia and mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and you know, who knows why I'm trying to right. find a way to switch it back. But I remember it, in the beginning, it was like just pure like ecstasy joy yeah like I, yeah. my body felt yeah. so good and, yeah and you know it was like i was just a little fantasy nerd growing up <laughs> and it was like suddenly i could see the magic you know in the because right. i grew up in the shire like the right. my hometown literally is the shire so you know walking through the hills suddenly after yeah. smoking a bowl it was like on the i was on this you know tolkien odyssey thing that little fans. mound right that red hill mound yeah that's literally what i thought when i first got here because yeah it was january right uh -huh. so it was rainy season so it was super green yep and i'm like hold on right behind the safeway it looks like the shy this is ridiculous i smoked weed on that hill before, <laughs> for sure yeah we had i mean that was a, one of the things in high school that i think a lot of them i feel like we all forget but like when I was in high school, man, it's all about hitting a cut. Like that's mm. what we used to call it. Mm. You want to go hit a cut and have right. a session? <laughs> Let's go sesh, you know. And like See, awesome. we had all these spots where you would drive in the car and you'd smoke weed, and it was right. a safe place. To, uh -huh. It wasn't always safe, mm. you know. Like the white lighter, you have a white lighter, the cops are going to roll. There's mm. a whole mythology mm. about that. Never <laughs> use a white lighter, you know. Uh, but like you know, there was we had our little spots, the cuts where it was the place to go get high, to right. go smoke. And um, you know, now having my own place, you know, it's like, and now that weed is is totally accepted and legal, right. um, I think that's a, a thing that may be lost on. You know, I'm sure the kid, you know, high school kids still got to find their places, but right, right. Um, I can't, I can't imagine. I can't imagine trying to process that as a high schooler mm. and and part of that Prospect is process what weed oh yeah <laughs> like like so the whole like getting nervous in front of people <clears throat> even even you know some of my friends here mm -hmm. i'd say for the first probably year and a half maybe two years that i was here i was i, I started to become known for just abruptly leaving a, a, a you know social situation where we're smoking weed and it was like that's what happened like i would get to a level where i started to become paranoid about my behavior and, and you know did i this joke was that too inappropriate mm -hmm. am i reading the room right like right. all that i didn't trust myself so much that i would j literally just Eject. all right guys i'm out no warning mm -hmm. no, and they're just like okay all right and they're like hey all right well yep. jeremiah hit that spot again yeah, and then, right. like they all knew well back in freaking high school man i was i was i feel like i was so stunted in my like emotional development i barely knew what was going going on with myself just right. on a on a sober day i was yeah. like i i have no idea how in the world i would have processed that but you know well, I mean, th that was the thing that, you know, for me, the reason that I started smoking weed mm -hmm. was because I didn't know how to socialize. Uh, like I was a, I was a total introverted kid that mm -hmm. was kind of a nerd that kind of like, I was a, an athlete too, but mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. 
I had a really hard time making friends and I didn't really understand how to make friends. Right. So for me, here was this tool where suddenly it was like, Oh, I can just get high with people. Right. And like, that's what everybody's doing to hang out. Right, right, suddenly right, right, I like right. had this thing I could bond with people over. And, yep. and you know, so I did make, make, I had plenty of smoking buddies, you know, and it wasn't until my junior year that I realized that like, Oh, these guys are my friends. You mm-hmm. know, there's people I get high yeah. with or right. I get drunk with and yeah. I couldn't really yeah. count on them when I needed them. You know? Right. Um, but, but yeah, that it, it was a total, you know, social connector at first. Right. And, uh, you know, it, um, you know, it's an interesting plant. I mean, it, it was hard even, even when I did in, in college start to want to take breaks mm-hmm. because I had such an identity as a stoner. Yeah. That I had friends that were really like resistant to me not fulfilling that role in our friendship. Right, right. Where it was like, no, you always hit the ball. Right, like, right, what? You don't right. want to yep. take a hit, you yep. know? Yeah. And that was hard as I was trying to discover who I was to, mm-hmm. to, to, to make those boundaries known and to, right. to sit by them. And, you know, I had friends dose me and, you know, uh, to try to keep me, dang. you know, in this comfort zone with them and stuff. And, you know, it, mm. but it really made me a lot better at taking breaks when I need, like I got really strong gotcha. when I, when I'm, when I'm ready to take a break, Yep, might be a couple false starts, but when I, when I put my foot down, like it's, I can do it. It's, yeah. it's not hard for me at all. But so yeah. I'm curious just cause I'm trying to get from, you know, church boy yes. to poison Ivy circus, but we got some stops on the way, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and so, so like you come out and visit San Francisco, you visit yes. your friend. Yes. Uh, was that the catalyst for you choosing the seminary in San Anselmo? Absolutely. hundred okay. percent. Yeah. So <clears throat> he had gone to the seminary. He had graduated from the seminary while I was visiting. He was introducing me to some of his friends. Some of them were currently going to the seminary. Um, I ended up meeting a professor and had a cool conversation with a professor. And so, so now I know the seminary is on the map. I know it exists. Mm -hmm. It's out here. Um, and I have a positive view of it. You know, I was like, Oh, you know, people there like seem cool. Like I could go to Hogwarts. Right. (laughs) But then also, so he, he asked me, he's like, well, what do you want to do when you're in town? I just reached for anything that I'd heard of about the Bay area. Yeah. Redwood trees, mm-hmm. like see those. Um, Golden Gate Park. Okay. And I think the, the third was, I, I I heard this in a song. I had no context. Big Sur. Okay. Not close. Yeah. But. But worth <laughs> Bentley it. Bentley came through. Yeah. And it was just like okay, okay, <laughs> and made it happen. He had a friend, uh, Abby, who. Uh, they went to high school together, you know, back in back in Orlando. Mm-hmm. She was out there now. She was working down at the Deacon Inn, and um, she was like, "Yeah, come, y- y'all can come. Y'all can. Matter of fact, y'all can crash here because I'm working at nights down at um, Esalen Springs. Oh, and Esalen, so, nice. yeah, and you know, uh, she totally got us in to Esalen uh, oh, nice. at night. Yeah, that's dope because that's yeah. an expensive place. Oh. It looks expensive. Yeah. <laughs> like, I still never been, but I've seen the pictures. That looks magical. Oh yeah. So we did the I mean we t- we did this ride down the coast together mm-hmm. and we stopped off 
at like Half Moon Bay or whatever it is, and we had these crab cake omelets that were great, mm. and we're just like, man, this is <laughs> this is like a pretty romantic day. Yeah. Well, then, yeah. Well, then we get down to Big Sur, oh, yeah. and then we're like at Pfeiffer Beach, and that's beautiful and that's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we finished the night. We thought we finished the night. It's like, oh, we end up having dinner at the Deejay Inn. It was literally candlelit. We're at the small <laughs> little table, right? <laughs> and and so then we really end the night. You yeah. know, she gets, she gets us in, and we're soaking in this hot spring, and. The stars are just above us oh, yeah. for our enjoyment. Oh. And the thing's right there on the coast, so we could like hear the waves crashing. And to this day, we're like, that was the most romantic day I've yeah. ever spent. Like, well, like, and you know that at Esalon, that, that is one of the, th- the classes they offer is like tantric, relational, like sexual coaching stuff. I did not know so that, but of course they do. It's a place where couples go to do that. Oh. So that's just hilarious. Is Bentley a, a big guy like you too? He is, yeah. We're 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 big people. He looks like uh, Jerry Garcia. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And or Hagrid, depending on you know whose nice. reference it is. Yeah. So he would have been the bear, and you would have been the, <laughs> the hunter. <laughs> I don't really know how it all works, but <laughs> but listen, we're yeah we're like sitting butt naked in this hot yeah, tub. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? And and the people who uh, were like planning Burning Man were there. Oh wow. So the people watching for me, again, it's like, man, you jumped both feet in right so, away. Yeah. You, and so you, this is, you so got right is, into the touchy feely Cali, Cali life. Oh my man. goodness. This is, so this is part of the reason why I decided to go to school here mm-hmm. really because I was like, okay, beautiful part of the country. I like the school, my mm-hmm. friends out there. Mm-hmm. I've met some other people, whatever. I was like, and I'm going to have some adventures yeah. because this <laughs> is so different than like this is so different like right oh yeah <laughs> i was like and i weirdo, want that weirdo central <laughs> oh man. my goodness yeah so i was oh i was all for it so yeah so that was a huge 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 um matter of fact once i decided to go to seminary i was like well i'll look at this one and a couple others i never did <laughs> never did yeah <laughs> the uh so when you're when you're uh when you decide to go to a seminary, mm-hmm. is it like a one track? Like you say, I'm going to go to become a preacher mm. or do, is it like a more like a university where there's like, you can kind of build your own court. Like, do people go for more reasons than just to become a preacher? Is everybody there to, to become a preacher? Yeah. The majority of people go to become a preacher. Okay. Um, it is becoming more common now for people to go to, to be a chaplain, which in some aspects is just like a preacher. The setting's different. Um, okay. You know, maybe working in a hospital, for example, hospital chaplain. Still it's giving like people spiritual institutionalized care. preacher or something? Yeah. In like a secular context usually? Is that what a chaplain is? Because you hear uh, about army chaplains, right, you hear about right, medical right, chaplains. Right, right. Yeah, typically, uh, you know, there's chaplains in jails and prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that's right. I worked for a jail and prison ministry. Mm-hmm. That's we we probably should touch on that yeah. at some point. Um, man, I, I didn't even think to tell you that. Can you just give a brief like what is a seminary? Because a lot of people have heard that right, term. Right, right, right. People might not know what we're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's good. Basically, seminary is where a lot of people go who want to go into clergy. So people want to be pastors, priests. Uh, a lot of the different denominations have their own seminaries. They mm-hmm. have their own structure. Uh, they have their own requirements. 
Um, but so it's yeah. like a university for clergy. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah, yeah. Or or even I'd say less university, more master's program. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So my school, most people are going to be pastors, but some are going want to do social work. Um, you know, some things that are adjacent. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe run a nonprofit. Um, it's got some kind of spiritual component, but yeah, yeah. the ma- vast majority okay. want to be clergy. Yeah. Is it a competitive competitive environment? I don't. I, I wouldn't say that. Um, I mean, certainly. You know, we can talk about like it being like academically rigorous. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, I thought it was going to be harder than what it is. I don't know. Maybe that's. Yeah. How does really, it differ from your from the, the university that you were at? Because were you studying theology mm. at at the university? I did. I, I did study religion. I did. Yep. Um, very similar, very similar. Um, yeah, very, I mean, I was surprised with how comfortable, you know, at that time I had not, I hadn't been in school in a while with the exception of the year before, like right before I moved out here, I did try to finish my uh, degree from Liberty. So I was taking online classes, but really, I mean, that was like the first time like I took classes since like what two thousand and eight. So, <laughs> so it had, it had it had been a minute, and so I was surprised at you know how comfortable I felt in the setting. I was like, okay, it's gonna be like drinking from a coat. I'm gonna have to learn all this again, all these habits, and there was certainly some truth to that. But yeah, no, I was I was I was pretty comfortable. And what is the like? How does the how is the education structured? Like, do you have courses that you take? Yep. yep. Um, is it, so it's set up kind of like a university yeah. in that way? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So there's, um, the, the program has a certain amount of requirements and, you know, you get a few electives, but then you have these core courses that you need. Um, some of those requirements are just for the degree, right? So like my school requires you to do one of the, um, one of the languages that the original text was written in okay greek hebrew um latin th- those two at other like at the catholic seminary they they might do latin aramaic mm. you know and is it like ancient that. greek or is it like it is ancient greek okay right what did you choose um greek okay which i had already actually taken in my undergrad um so it was it was fairly comfortable. So can I'm hoping Greek? to do Hebrew. Okay. I, I mean, they say it's not spoken all, you know, mm-hmm. it, it really isn't spoken. You do, you know, pronounce the words and all of that. Um, so in that sense, it's not, it's not like conversational. Yeah. However, three years ago, I did this big travel around the world trip myself. And when I was in Athens on the subway, I was like, Oh, I can read these letters. Yeah. I know what this okay, yeah, this is this is my stop. I was like I was so nice. proud of myself. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, that's a huge thing. Yeah. yeah. Being able to read yeah. your bus stop is major. Right, right. Greeks I've always thought cool is cool with the both because our language comes from English comes from it, but also I don't know, the the words themselves, it's like I'm a coming from a fantasy standpoint. Mm-hmm. It's all like fantasy words, mm-hmm. kinda. They're all like cool what, like what do you mean fantasy words well they're just like i think 
fantasy authors tend to draw like when building their own languages oh, they'll use the same kind of phonetic structures in, in from greek or from some scandinavian or right from, right right you know like they're they're that's one of the oh. areas they draw from so you might see like a word like archelon or something like that and it's like oh that <laughs> right, sounds right, kind of right, like right, a fantasy right, right. word you know yeah yeah, I can see that being derivative Greek. So I didn't, I didn't see, I didn't know that you nerd this hard. See, we gotta. We oh, gotta, bro, I get down. Oh for man, sure, yeah, dude. we definitely gonna talk about some fantasy. Oh yeah, man. I mean, Game I was, of Thrones. You fuck with the Game of Thrones? Yeah, dude. Uh, I I actually discovered Game of Thrones without ever having heard of it. I was I was studying in Denmark, and uh, and it was midwinter. You mm-hmm. know, it's dark time. And I was lonely. Mm-hmm. All my, I had this big group of friends that were that I had just combined two separate friend groups. Mm-hmm. That's what I like to do: connect people. Yeah. So I connected all my friends, and then I left for seven months to go study. Yeah. So I was having major FOMO at this point, and so I was watching all these series because I was like, I'm trying to like feel. You know, I watched like all the How I Met Your Mothers, and they mm-hmm. were all my friends for four seasons or five seasons or whatever. Yeah. And then I was like, I think I watched Deadwood and I was like, all right, I'm looking for like a new series. You know, I was torrenting everything. I was like, yeah, yeah. Download this Game of Thrones oh, yes, thing looks yes. interesting. And like 30 seconds into the first episode, I'm like, what the fuck? This right. is amazing. Right, right, right. What? And I was just sold. And uh, yeah, man, man. As, soon as, as soon as the white, they cut off the dude's head. I was like, oh, right. I mean, for sure. Um. Yeah, Game of Thrones was good. I read the books. The books, yeah. obviously, I liked way more. But, That's what I'm talking about. But, uh, but yeah, dude, you know, like Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my Bible growing up. Like gotcha. I read that almost yeah. every year, and you know, I'm I've always got something on my phone, Audible, mm-hmm, listening to mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a fantasy series or something, fantasy and sci-fi. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm curious, like, so where are you at in your in your seminary education like how many years in what do you yeah. have to do I'm, t- I'm towards the end i should be okay. done next i should be done in may okay yeah i've got i think i got like five five courses to do spread out over the summer and the spring and that'll be it so yeah wow. now the now the, the the question is of course what next mm-hmm. part of part of the answer is i'm, I'm pursuing ordination and um, ordination is a process that is separate from getting the degree. Okay. So it's a a religious body that I've chosen that is going to give me the title reverend. Mm-hmm. Uh, my denomination is going to do that, and what, so they have a what list is of, your of requirements. Ah, I switched from Presbyterian when I got out here to the Disciples of Christ. Okay. Very similar to Presbyterian, but um less rules and a looser governance structure Mm. so like each church even though like they make decisions on a national level each church still has complete autonomy to be like well we ain't doing that Mm -hmm. some denominations have a certain amount of power where they can literally like take the church property away like if if they deem it that necessary. Yeah. This denomination is like, no, we're, we're, we're not doing that. Gotcha. Um, coming from, you know, having spent a lot of time in the Presbyterian world and mm-hmm. seeing them argue about the things that they argue about. And 
how that goes and all these power plays. That was very attractive to me, but it was more attractive to me because the way I see it, there's less chance that I could get kicked out of the group. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, how many denominations will let you be a preacher and, and drop acid on the weekends, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't even know if they'll let me. Well, we're going to yeah. find out. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can but... put that under the subheading, you know, spiritual research, you know? Yeah, and so so and this is yeah, this is kind of back to the gonzo journalism type mm-hmm. thing because for me the decision to, to go to seminary really wasn't necessarily like, oh, I feel called to be a pastor. It was more so I feel called to lean into some of the deeper questions about faith. Mm. Also knowing that amongst my friends I am a religious presence and for some the only religious presence or at least the only one that they trust yeah and so i had already was you know asked to perform weddings and i'm sure at some point it was going to be you know funerals and things Mm -hmm. of that nature so if moving forward a denomination is just like yeah we don't feel comfortable honestly i'd be fine with that because i'm like well Again, I, that mm-hmm. doesn't change the role that I play amongst my right. amongst my friends. Yeah, um, I am open. When I when I first came out here, I was like, "Yeah, I don't want to be a pastor." I was like, "Again, I've worked in churches. Mm-hmm. I've I'm familiar yeah. <laughs> with how it can go." Mm-hmm. Um, there's part of that that I don't like, but really more of it was I know myself and there are certain contexts where I struggle struggle to tell the truth right mm-hmm. there's, there's certain pressures that are harder for me and so it's part of the reason why I like being I like talking about all the shit that we're talking about now even as I am you know in seminary yeah because my commitment to being honest and transparent I'm like look I I think it's fair you want to know what you're getting yourself into. I think mm. that's fair. Yeah. I want to now in my life <laughs> be able to be like, Hey, well, this is who I am. If it's a good fit. Great. Right. If it's not for some reason, look, I really want you to find something, some connection where you can get what you need on your spiritual journey. If I'm not a part of that, then yeah, let me get out of the way. <laughs> I don't take that as a slight. Mm-hmm. I don't, t- you, know, you know what I mean? And also for me, same thing goes like I'm not trying to sign up, you know, and, you know, work at it, work in a place that I know I'm going to struggle and it's right. going to be detrimental, you know, mm-hmm. for me either. So it's like, yeah, let's, let's, let's find a win-win. Let's not force anything. Yeah. But on my part, most of that is just, like I said, just being honest. What, what is your, when you think about like Jeremiah, the preacher mm-hmm. or Jeremiah, the pastor, mm. What does that vision look like? Like, what does that mean to you? What What do you want to be? What are you? What is your particular incarnation of that Ooh, of that role? What does that look like? Like, yeah. what, when you when you think about that. Well, um, there's a uh, there's there's a lady who's a Lutheran pastor, and I cannot think of her name right now, but. 
I immediately gravitated towards her story. Um, I was listening to NPR, probably like Fresh Air, one of these podcasts. She was being mm -hmm. interviewed. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. So she had done some different things, you know, as an adult. She had like, I think she did some stand-up comedy and some other things. But um, she had this bar, you know, she went to. And I think I think someone died. Like one of her friends died in you know, mm. this bar. And so she was like the religious person that they knew and asked if she would, you know, perform some kind of ceremony. Yeah. So she did that. And the way she tells it, you know, she's like just very reluctantly. She was like, she just started noticing that and ultimately ended up, you know, starting a church. A church that still goes, is very popular. At some points, you know, she's just like, hey, look, I understand there's, you know, we got like a bunch of visitors and everything, but like we need to kind of just like do us. I'm like, you're like turning people away at some points or whatever, but <laughs> but there's this like commitment, you know, to yeah. the group to yeah. you know, have a space for them to be real and open and honest. And mm -hmm. I get it. It's hard to do when yeah. there's strange people around and right. you don't know, you know, and, and you, you know, some of them are there just because celebrity and now she's been on fresh air and all sorts of stuff. She's written books and yeah, you know, people heard of it. Tourism can dilute and, any, right, right, right. any context. Right. But, but just the organic nature of like how that developed that was the first time that I was like, okay, if, <laughs> if I ended up being a pastor, like it's probably going to happen like that or whatever. Cause I can't, you know, cause again, mm -hmm. I know I got this commitment to being honest yeah, and also the c commitment, you know, to myself where it's like, yeah, gonzo journalism, I'm going to mm -hmm. poke, you know, poke things and yeah. with a stick, I'm going to kick the tires. I want to try things um, that other people say you shouldn't do that. I, I know I am. Right. So not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to be honest about it. I was like, I, I was like, I know religious people. So many, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm totally fine with that. But, right. but hearing her story, I was like, well, yeah, well maybe it's possible and maybe it just looks different. Cool. That's cool with mm -hmm. me. So when I last year before the pandemic, February, I did my uh, senior sermon requirement for everyone on campus not really a big deal in my opinion you know it's just you do a sermon in front of everyone that goes to school there or whoever wants to show up i i when i looked out like i just had like there were some friends from yes school but there are some friends who i met in town just you know working and doing different things mm -hmm. poison ivy you know it was like there's just wonderful amalgamation of people you talk about like liking to bring different worlds together as far as your friend groups yeah. me too mm -hmm. i love it and really just that idea like well of course they would show up just because of their relationship with me and some of them came and was like i don't go to church like i hadn't been to church in like 20 you know wh mm -hmm. whatever we just came because you said you were preaching that to me is not only a no brainer, but that's the way that I want to live. And so it's part of the reason why I go some of the places and do some of the things that I do. Cause I'm like, yeah, my friends invited me my friends are going like, of course I'm going to go hang out with my friends. Right. 
Now, I'm certainly not saying, <laughs> you know, oh, that's why I end up doing whippets, you know, like, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. no, I was like curious about doing whippets. I was like, that's what that was all about. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but that that's an important, like, I often feel where, like, too often in the context that I see religion when offering prescriptions for how to live your life. Hmm. To me, sometimes it feels like some of the things are a little outdated. I Hmm. mean, that's a cliche at this point, right? With religion. But, you know, I do think that there is definitely, um, there is definitely a, how do I want to explain this? There's, a value in discipline. Yes. And there is a value in being in the idea of living like a sober life or the idea of mm-hmm. living, uh, you know, a life without and, and so, and with substances, right. So many people can fall into an imbalance. Sure. Right? Yeah. But I also think that a lot of the culture that you see in some of these stricter religions that culture was developed at a time where either, you know, drugs were culturally considered, you know, uh, illegal or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. culturally considered, uh, an abomination or considered like somehow, uh, unnatural. Right. 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 But if you look back at a lot of like the old texts, like the even going back to like the Red Sea Scrolls, mm-hmm that the original Bible was translated from or, or ba- you know, in, in part based off of, there's a lot of evidence to show that they were consuming psychedelic mushrooms. Gotcha. And the, and a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, modern day, you know, archeologists and, and certain anthropologists will point to that a lot. There right. is in a lot of world belief structures, there is mysticism, that is derived from plant medicines and from mm-hmm. these psychedelic things. So to me, it's like when you're talking about a, a an institution that is is at its core seeking to to understand and and explain and connect around uh, these large questions about life, yeah, and around concepts like divinity around uh seeking truth around Mm -hmm. defining for yourself your own boundaries in your life right well to me like this is my own personal thing while i value the discipline and i can see the value in asceticism or whatever the life without diving into just pure hedonism right i also think that when you make like a blanket rule that mm-hmm. is preventing people from leaving these stones unturned. Right. Right. Like it almost seems like weaker for that. Gotcha. Like it seems yeah. like a stronger thing yeah. to, to explore and, and to, to, to mm-hmm. rather than to shelter yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think this is kind of what you have explained in your own path and what first attracted me to talking to you was that mm-hmm. it was like, Oh, this is, this guy is on a spiritual quest yeah, and he's going into it without like with eyes wide open. Like you're, you're Curiosity, generally hopefully. curious, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And that curiosity is going to right. yield you with, with a wealth of experience that is, is uncommon in the field that you've mm. chosen to work in. And, and it will give you insight into working with people 
that who who have been in that space yeah right like you can go talk to someone that is having issues in their life mm-hmm. and maybe they're involved with substances right. or maybe there aren't maybe they but they have a psyche that has been altered by having an experience with these substances right so by by having your own experience that's opening another mm-hmm. channel that you can use to connect with these people yeah yeah and i you know and at this point like i mean i certainly <laughs> i still feel very new mm-hmm. and i you know it's not like i've done it done it a ton yeah um and i agree i agree with that whole thing about you know uh stones being unturned what's what I've come to believe, though, I'm like, you know what? But it's 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 inevitable that that's going to happen in, in society mm-hmm. is that we develop orthodoxy. A lot of times when we develop orthodoxy, I know some people think it's some group of people who want to control things and keep power and all that. And I'm like, well, sure, there's some of that going on. I was like, also, a lot of orthodoxy comes on the tail end of tragedy Mm. when tragic things happen it's natural for people to start drawing harder lines right so my denomination disciples of christ they technically weren't a denomination yet but jim jones drink the kool-aid guy Mm -hmm. you know right like they they ordained him i think he got an ordination from another group as well but yeah they ordained him and Mm -hmm. Certainly at the time, I mean, he was very progressive as far as, um, you know, in the 60s when Martin Luther King was trying to get churches in the South to just voluntarily. It's like, look, government isn't even controlling you. You don't have to be segregated. Right. This guy (laughs) was out there not only, you know, making sure like all races are you know, invited to our church, mm-hmm. but he was doing programs and trying to like do sting operations, you know, so that if a shop s- turned away a black person that, you know, people would know about and they would get in trouble. And that was all Jim that. Jones, you're saying? Yeah, it was yeah, Jim yeah. Jones, right? Yeah. Well, obviously he goes off the deep end. Yeah, yeah. And there's like over a thousand people that died drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Mm-hmm. Well, as you can imagine after that, the disciples of Christ were like, we are now going to embrace some orthodoxy. We're going to draw a hard line and be like, no, our ministers need to get trained. We're going to mm-hmm. do this. They start to put some things in place. Right. And you, I think it, I think it's absolutely inevitable for society to do that. And every time you create orthodoxy, you're saying this is okay. You're also saying these things are not okay. It's the same. It's part and parcel of the same process. Oh, yeah. You can't have one without the other. Totally. And so, yeah, it's to me, I'm like, it's not just because people are dumb or evil or greedy that certain people have said absolutely no to alcohol absolutely no to opium absolutely no to sex outside of marriage absolutely sometimes (laughs) these things come from Mm -hmm. they come from tragedies people are like fuck that we're not doing that anymore you know my point and and i agree i I hear i hear what you're saying and i think that that makes all makes total sense Mm. i just think that in this con- in this country in our culture mm-hmm. uh 
when we decided, or we didn't really decide, but when our government decided mm-hmm. to engage in the drug war, right? Uh, there was a general labeling of yes of of regulated substances as being all in the same container, right? And it'll make no sense. And as what we're what we're learning, what we what many of us have known for a long time, right? And certainly anyone who's like actually done work with these substances mm-hmm. is finally starting to change in this country. Right. Is that there's a pretty big difference between going out and getting drunk with your friends yeah. and waking up at the sunrise and dropping acid at 11,000 feet in the Sierras. Right. You know, and that right. not every one of these things is the same. Right. And they have different uh, effects and potential pathologies mm-hmm. and benefits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my own personal life, psychedelics have been something that I've gained great insight out of. That I've also used and this recreationally. Is, and, this is, and this is where I get curious about yeah. your journey. Yeah. Because I have, in a recreational context, exclusively, mm-hmm. you know, done some psychedelics. Yeah. But, you know, you've done some in a spiritual context. And I find that fascinating. Yeah. yeah it's pretty. <laughs> it, is a, it is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's... There's one thing I'll say about psychedelics. They're pretty fascinating. Uh, I think that's, yeah, I don't know that I've heard anyone's like, psychedelics, boring. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's one thing they're not. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, like, I grew up in a place where seeking was considered, a, like, a valid pursuit. Almost like a value? Yeah. 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 And my mom... You know, I, I, my father was an abusive alcoholic. Gotcha. And, yeah. and so there was a lot of fear in the in the house around alcohol. Right. And when I began drinking recreationally, my mom it was really hard for her. Yeah. But she had, you know, she had a much easier time with psychedelics. Mm. Like I, you know, like she would feel less pain if I went out and did mushrooms with my friends. Right. I'm not saying she condoned it, condoned it, or pushed for it. Mm-hmm. But it was easier for her to process me going out and and exploring that than right. going out and getting drunk. Right, right. Um, and yeah. I think that as I got older, you know, one of the things that, that I, you know, really want to honor my mom in was when I would talk to her about, you know, doing these and, and you know, to her credit, she was open to discussing these things with me in an honest way, not just mm-hmm. telling me not to do it. Mm-hmm. She would always, you know, she would always uh, encourage me to take these things with intention. Even gotcha. if it's like me and some friends going on a hike, right. she would always have something to say about like, mm-hmm. about making it intentional and preparing right. for it. Right, and right. Like, and, and and seeking to build, you know, yeah, go have fun, mm-hmm. but try to 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 do it with something in mind, some intention in mind. And it wasn't like she was telling me what to think about it. Mm-hmm. it I could make the intention myself, but yeah. just the idea that. So this is so the, this intention. This is this sounds different than just be safe. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely part of it too. Right. But I think that she she trusted the safety in it. She there wasn't the same fear 
that other parents might have because mm-hmm. my mom had done her own exploration with right, it. Right. And so for her, she was much more worried about me going out and drinking and getting in a car or, you know, right. uh, those boundaries, which I think is true. I think that alcohol is a lot harder, uh, you know, to, to see your boundaries. I mean, I remember being young and, you know, kind of in a joking way, but learning like the, you know, the, um, you know, the three commandments of psychedelics, which was like, uh, take off from the ground. If you're going to fly, okay. Take off from the ground. Don't try to jump off a building. Mm-hmm. Just take off wow. from the ground. Oh, quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like, what does that mean? I was like, no, it means what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't stare at the sun. Uh-oh. All right. And, uh, what was the third one? I forget. But basically, those two were really important. <laughs> it would um, it, it, be helpful if, you know, it was like A, B, C, and then you mm-hmm. could do alliteration. And then right. you could, yeah. No, there is. I'm sure that <laughs> there's plenty of mnemonics that can help. But, but yeah, I think that for me with psychedelics, when I first took mushrooms for the first time, it was with my two brothers. Mm. My older brother had done them before, and he was really excited about it. And we went out to this beach and we got sandwiches and we just like we ate them and then we just were hanging out and we waited for it to to feel them and i started to feel really uncomfortable and um and i started looking for the cause cuz i started to feel like i should be having more fun mm-hmm. why am i not having fun gotcha. what's the problem mm-hmm. and i got hung up on that thought yeah. thought tree yeah. thought path so first I'm like, okay, uh, the reason I'm not having fun is cause, oh, it's this water bottle. I'm carrying around this water bottle and it's like keeping me from having fun. So mm. I took the water bottle and I threw it as far as I could away, but then I Did still fed, didn't still wasn't feeling great, you know? And, right. and, uh, and eventually what I realized was that I was feeling pulled in one direction and my brothers were feeling pulled in another direction. Mm. And that I was, you know, that I needed to be alone for a while. So I, you know, I told my brothers, like, I'll be back. I'm going off, you know, mm-hmm. on, on my own, on my own. And, and I walked down the beach and I was feeling just, you know, uncomfortable and weird. And, mm. but as soon as I got by myself, suddenly it was like, oh, like, okay, hmm. like, I am on my own. This is my journey. I'm right where I need to be. Yeah. And I ended up going down the beach and I took off all my clothes. All right. And I sat down on this log and I start looking up at the sky and the sky is just like pulsing purple. Hmm. And I start to like look around and realize like, wow, this is really beautiful. Like where I am. Right. And also like, man, like I trusted myself to Mm -hmm. get this space Mm -hmm. and to go like, this is my thing now. Right. Right. And, and I sat there, I don't know how long I sat there for, but I eventually felt like, okay, like I'm ready to return. And I remember when I left, we had all found these sticks. My brother found this one stick that looked like a dog. It became known as the dog stick. I think he still has it, but I had a staff and I remember getting to a place. And when I was ready to return, I found a new staff. And that was like this big symbolic moment. And I had all like my clothes under my arm. I was in my underwear and I walk back to find my brothers and I find them and they're just rolling in the sand, in the sand, like piggies, (laughs) like pretending they're pigs. 
And they told me that that uh, when they looked up and wow. saw me, it looked like there was like a prince coming. Like that was the image they got was of this prince returning. Wow. And for the whole rest of the trip, I had this like confidence and this uh, just deep feeling of that all was well mm. and that I was okay and mm-hmm. that that uh, and I could just really relax and enjoy being with my two of my favorite people that I love so much. Wow. And so that was this deep truth that like has stuck with me. Like there, there's times when I just need to go off by myself and right. find right. ground myself and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it's come up on other psychedelic trips. And mm. um, so, you know, this gets back to, to your question about like the spiritualism and the psychedelics. Right. I think that that, uh, you know, that that intention carried over into my normal life. And, you know, and it's always been part of, of my path. And, and, and I've always seen myself as on a spiritual path, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I do things and, you know, it really manifest when I went to, did my trip to India, you know, yeah. it was like, sounds cliche as like a white hippie bro to say, but I went, I went on a spiritual quest to India and, you know, it started, I, I had dreams for years about going. I would just yeah. have these dreams about being there. And it was always like, just a state of exaltation. Like I felt like so happy to be there in my dreams. When, when was that trip? It was 2016. Okay. Um, okay. I had just gotten out of a really, I had my heart broken mm-hmm. and, and had this really like, got into this really beautiful and tender and open place where yeah. I was like really just allowing myself to feel yeah. all the emotions and to heal. And mm-hmm. it was like from earlier heartbreaks in my life, mm-hmm. everything had been mm-hmm. reopened up stuff. I had like had stuff down and, and this one, you know, and, and as I was moving through these process over the course of months, you know, it became more and more clear that like, Hey, like I'm 28 about to be 29 I've been, you know, through this thing, the Saturn returns. I don't know if you're familiar with Saturn returns, nope. like an astrological idea that you Saturn know, God of time. Saturn was, yeah, Kronos, like uh, yeah, uh-huh. the, yeah, okay. the, the the Greek the original father of all the Olympian Olympian gods. But this is the idea that when Saturn, the planet, mm-hmm. makes this return in your chart, usually around twenty seven to thirty, mm. and at that time, uh, usually the patterns in your life that are no longer serving you start to make themselves known in louder, increasingly louder ways. Oh, and it's a time of great conflict, and it's a time of great turmoil. Mm-hmm. And it's usually like, you know, mm-hmm. if you're able to like really like listen to it and 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 follow your truth, mm-hmm. you can come out of it, you know, as an adult, or you can come out of it, you know in a form that, that is more stable and is more like who you're going to become. And so I had had some really hard years in those years and I really wanted to design a rite of passage that was going to allow me to honor that time. Mm -hmm. And that was also going to, um, to grant me like this self-reliance to be a man in the world. And so, so, so what'd you, what'd you do? You, 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 what ritual are you coming with? So for me, that looked like, uh, you know, I planned this trip out 
and I was going solo. You know, for how long? For three and a half months. Oh, and uh, and I spent the first couple of weeks with a family friend who'd been going for, you know, he was in his seventies. He'd been going for most of his life, spending like half the year in this little town at a Garukula, which is like a, um, you know, from the guru. It's like a, a religious school in India, like of Hinduism, but mm-hmm. it was more of a non-denominational environment. And uh, and so I went and I just really ended up just kind of walking the world, you know, in the sense of like, uh, you know, I had a basic itinerary, but but really was like fully there to be spontaneous right like if, right if an adventure presented itself uh-huh. like i was dead yeah. i was gonna say yes yep, yep. and that was one of the first revelations i had was that like uh i had set this plan in motion and this i had this itinerary and i started to get really stressed because there was things coming up mm-hmm. that were in conflict with that and i was like right. but i'm supposed to go there next right right right, right. and i and i realized like oh Nobody is pushing for this but me. Right. Why don't I just listen to myself? And what myself wants is to stay on this beach for 11 right, days. Right, right, <laughs> And I don't need to go to this other place. I'm right where I need to be. And so I got really clued into following that voice and that self and trusting in my own wisdom and trusting mm-hmm. in my own ability to make good decisions. Right. And, uh, oh, and it was transformational. I mean, it really changed me in, in a fundamental way. And... You know, there was all sorts of symbols that came up from the like the club. You know, when you start to travel in these certain parts of the world, mm-hmm. you start to accumulate like a like your look in a way. Mm. Like I showed up, I purposely didn't bring clothes. Like okay. I brought like maybe a couple shorts and a t-shirt. Right. But I was like, I'm going to this place where clothing is cheap. Mm. I'm going to just, when I need something, I'll get it. Right. And so I started to kind of accumulate like, you know, more kind of like bohemian hippie mm-hmm, bag, you know, mm-hmm. Aladdin like <laughs> clothes. I got a vest. <laughs> yes. I got certain gems yes. around my neck and I got, um, you know, this little bracelet that I made one day that's been around my ankle ever since. Okay. And I was just looking for for the whole time I'm looking for symbols. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, you know, like I want to, one of my goals was I want to build my own mythology about who I am. Right. I want to build the legend. What is the legend of Hobart? Like, what does the tale, what does this tale say? Love it. You know, I just read Don Quixote All right. and I was really like taken by, by the story of this old man who's like building his own legend in his mind. It doesn't matter that he's tilting at windmills in his mind. He's fighting, you know, the French or he's charging at an army, you know? So, you know, I made my way North and, and eventually came to Dharamsala to the, you know, the uh, home of the Dalai Lama Mm -hmm. and, you know, on the, on the shoulders or the, the feet of the Himalayas. And I, and I ended up doing a, a a Vipassana meditation retreat for, for 10 days which was crazy, wow. you know, it was like 10 days, no talking, no eye contact with mm-hmm. anybody, uh, no reading, no writing, just wake up at 4.30 every morning, meditate till 9 p.m., go to bed, wow. you know, two meals, and and it was really hard, 
you yeah. know, and it's both in a sense that like, you know, growing up in a modern Western country, I'm just used to a constant feed of stimulation in my brain. Right, right. You know, my phone is never far, always listening to stuff, mm. watching stuff, engaging yeah. in conversations. So like, it was like this immediate, my brain was immediately starving right. for stimulation and, you know, but I was committed to it and, and, uh, and, and sitting and meditating that long, it's really painful physically on your body. Right. That was probably the hardest part was the physical pain. Did you, um, did you like switch between postures because of the pain or I tried, but you're like in this very traditional setting, you know, the, the Vipassana meditation is like this meditation that was lost to the world for like 3000 years. Mm. And in the sixties, it was the, it was the meditation that the Buddha did underneath the Bodhisattva tree. Gotcha. He did this meditation and that was when he found enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And it's not, there's not a lot of mythology around it. It's like very practical. And like we spent the first three days just focusing on the nose or the air coming in and out of our nostrils for 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day, you know, just, just trying to concentrate on breathing through your nose and what that felt like, what sensations we were only allowed, you know, to feel our nostrils for the first couple of days. Then they expanded it from our nostrils down to the top of our lip in this triangle. So the whole day you're sitting there and you're like trying to feel very deeply what's going on there. Right. And, and your mind wanders and you sure. fail again yeah. and again right, and again. Right, you start right, thinking right. about stuff. And for me, it was like this wrestling match with my own thinking brain mm-hmm. where I was like, nope, not going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be focusing on my breathing. And then my brain would bring up something else. Mm-hmm. And it was like my my thinking mind was constantly trying to tempt me back into thinking. Yeah. And the more that I ignored it, the more compelling it got. Yeah. And it started like it played the whole Lord of the Rings movie, but I wasn't looking at the screen, but it was going in the background. And, and eventually it was like, okay, motherfucker, like Mm -hmm. now it's time to get deep, you know, day seven, eight starts bringing up like some early childhood stuff I hadn't thought about. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, at, at one point sitting in the room and, you know, I had had a, as we kind of mentioned earlier, I had a lot of, you know, for me, when I was in my teenage years, there was a lot of issues that I had with my mother mm-hmm. when I started using substances. You know, we went from having this really open relationship that was really loving yeah. to suddenly it felt like I was kind of cast out of, of Eden. You know, mm. it was like suddenly I she was just viewing me as like I felt like I was a demon in her eyes and that uh, it, it, for years, you know, I was I, I got to a point where I hated her. I had so much mm. resentment built up and I was so angry with her and I couldn't even enjoy her company. Even if the rest of my family was, I would feel like just this ugliness, you know, and, and I'm sitting there in this meditation hall and, you know, there's this idea of a samsara, which is like in Buddhism is samsara is like when you, in any moment, we're always reacting to things that happen. And there's very light, small reactions. Mm-hmm. You have an itch, you scratch it. Yep. And then there's emotional reactions that can become very deep where let's say someone talks to you in a way and you have an emotional reaction to that. Mm-hmm. That 
over time, it's like the wheelbarrow in the road. It becomes deeper and deeper of a rut. Right, right. And that's what a samsara is. It's this like deeply mm. ingrained reaction to a mm-hmm. stimuli. Mm-hmm. And and our deepest ones are so deep that they're fundamental to who we are. We can't even see them. We can't even mm-hmm. like really know what they are. Yeah. We just see the reaction that comes out of it. Right. Whatever our tri- trigger is a word that's used yeah. kind of in that way that now. And... So I'm sitting there and I'm having these conversations with different people. One one guy from high school I haven't talked to in years, just talking to him. Wow. Telling him how he affected me in my life. I talked to my dad. And then finally my mom comes up and I'm sitting in communion with her. And in that moment, you know, up until that point I had I had known that she loved me and I'd known that like her that the trauma that I received, you know, in, in her was from a place of fear, which was from a place of love. Yeah. I understood that in a, in a, like a rational way, but I couldn't feel it. And in that moment, mm-hmm. I, it was like this thing lined up and suddenly I experienced all of that pain, all of that hardship as love. Mm. And it was like coming into focus. And I felt at that moment, this like, huge lump rise up into my chest just how they were describing it you know the teacher was describing samsaras and it just broke apart and dissolved and i realized that i was sobbing and i was like just tears streaming down my face and um and you know you're in a hall with 300 people i'm trying to to not you know disturb anybody else but i'm just like fully in this like convulsions and uh and from that day forward like the, the anger, the resentment, the hatred was gone. And, you know, I came home after the trip and told my mom and we cried and held each other. And, <laughs> you know, since then, our relationship has, like, really gotten so good. It's the mm. best it's, like, it's ever been in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's, like, my spiritual yeah. <laughs> thing. I mean, I think that, wow. again, with, with psychedelics, there is the... There is like the visceral experience of being on them. Mm-hmm. And that is very powerful. And that is very much, you know, can be an instrument of change and an instrument of development and truth seeking. Mm-hmm. But those doors that they open mm-hmm. is really where the effects are felt. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of times it's described in a negative way, like, oh, you're going to change your mind. You're going to fuck up how you think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you're going to change how you think, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Right. For me, it opened yeah. all these different thought patterns. I never would have ways of thinking mm-hmm. that were, I think overall have allowed me to be a little more malleable in the way that I conceptualize things yeah. and a little bit less quick to uh, like identify with information, which, you know, in our current state, I still do. It's still hard, but sure. like, at least I have an example of what, not doing it looks like right you know. right man that's oh man thank you for sharing that with me that <laughs> long answer so to, a, to a short question <laughs> yeah but but you know what but it was it's it's a good answer to the question you know particularly in the sense of i mean that's what i was asking for you know this, this curiosity about that linkage spirituality psychedelics yeah and then you particularly like 
what a gift you know that it led to this repair and evolution really of a relationship with your mom and and you know allowed you to deal with some things like what a gift yeah I really was yeah. you know and, and you know it, it just I think that uh that psychedelics have they've become more accepted and it's and i think it's really amazing that i think it's really needed Mm -hmm. as a culture Mm -hmm. like as we keep like kind of aimlessly striving towards technological sophistication and trying to make an ai and trying to like get into this robot world who knows you know i feel like we got a lot to learn (laughs) as a species before we create a new one yeah to me, that is what gives me hope is that we're mm. loosening up and that more and more people are going to have access to this, this medicine, to these, these, you know, powerful right. effects of them. Cause I think that we as a society, as a global society need to get a whole lot more humane, mm. a whole lot more compassionate, oh, yeah. a whole lot more accepting of please, difference. Please. Yeah. Um, and, and currently right now it, it feels in some ways we're moving that way and others we're really not, yeah. you know? And so, uh, my hope is that, you know, that this, these, these psychedelics can be used, you know, if, again, they're tools. So like they can be used for, for delusion as yeah. much as for illumination. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that, that is where I think some of, that's where tradition comes from. It's like you talked about earlier, like orthodoxy is bred out of, uh, you know, it's a protective measure at times right? out of tragedy or whatever. And so, you know, to me there, there is great value in having a tradition around using these substances in a ceremonial manner and at least in an intentional manner that for me, that's meant like, how do I want to prepare for this day? Mm hmm. You know, do I want it to be like a spirit quest? Mm-hmm. Do I want it to be recreational? Right. No, neither are invalid, but mm-hmm. just make that decision beforehand. Right, right, right. And 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 be intentional about that. That like, hey, I'm doing, I'm drinking tonight, and I'm gonna have some mushrooms with my friends. Right. Because that'll be a little experience. Right. And now when I do that, it's like at least I've thought that. Yeah. I'm not just yeah. eating the mushrooms casually. It's like, right. no, no, this is gonna be fun. But I'm yeah. deciding that it's going to be fun. Right, right. And I know that at another time I might decide that I want to, you know, wake up at 4 a.m. and watch the sunrise on these things. Right. You know, on the beach by myself. And that's going to give me a different experience. And depending on how I choose to shape it, like I really believe in the mm-hmm, mind's mm-hmm. power to 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 give structure to these experiences. Right. You know, and that, that that was kind of one of my questions for you mm-hmm. is as a spiritual man brought up through this faith with mm. all the symbolism, right? With all the like world building that you've engaged in over your life. What was it like for you mm. to enter into the psychedelic space? Oh man. Whew. All right. So, yeah. So first, like I had mentioned earlier, I, I'm just the kind of person who, I, I want to take things slow. 
Um, I want to. I have this sign, kind of a scientific approach to it. Um, and so that was definitely true with psychedelics. You know, I was curious, curious, curious. Talk to people, ask questions, had conversations, and then, yeah, then I find myself in spaces where, okay, it's available. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, what do I have to do tomorrow? Like, do I have the kind of time? Do I have the kind of space? I'm sorry, how long does it last? Like, mm-hmm. what? Like what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And so I started off taking, you know, I was like, well, give me a half dose. I was like, I know everyone says like, oh, you're a big guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like, but I never done this. Yeah. Give me, yeah, give me, give me a partial this dose. This is LSD we're talking about? Yeah, and like... I remember being in the woods and I tried acid, I tried mushrooms, small mm-hmm. doses, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, yeah, it feels cool. And now I, there's this whole like tactile curiosity where I kind of want to like touch things and all, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or just, you know, look up at the stars or whatever. I was like, that, that, that was pretty neat. But then, of course, you know, there's levels, right? And people ask, do you experience any visualization, visualizations? You know, anything with the lights or anything like that. I was like, no, no, I didn't, you know, I didn't take that much. Yeah. So honestly, and this is, you know, I'll just thank you. There were two people in particular that I felt comfortable with. You're one of them. We had conversations. And knowing that not only that you all were around, knowing that there was this scientific approach where it's like, okay, well, how much is a dose? Not just a random, like, Mm -hmm. well, if it fits in the palm of your hand, like, well, like yeah. what, what, you know, right. So, so I, so then I, I did that and I was like, okay, I'll take a full dose. Cool. But then I remember, then I remember getting to the point where I was like, okay, I want like the full, I want the full experience. Like, you want to break you know, through. I want to break through. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, we figured out, like, okay, this is what, this is what we're going to do. So I took enough to do that. And, Man, was this the night that I was with you? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. So, I think some of the first things that I noticed were, you know, like the lights and and all of that. One of the coolest things was the music. Mm. And I freaking, I love music so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I could count all the nights that I have fallen asleep with headphones on or something, like I mean, I love music and Mm -hmm. so now i'm like i can like feel the music in a different way and i would like shut my eyes and then it it felt like i was looking at one of those music visualization screens oh yeah like yeah (laughs) like there was that maybe the part that surprised me the most and 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 to where this is what kind of got me curious about like the spiritual element was I told you earlier, I'm not a visual person. I can walk into a room, leave the room, and the people were like, oh, my God, why do they have that big, ugly painting on the wall? I'm like, what painting? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, it was, like, bright green. Like, uh, you know, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. All of a sudden, like, I was – and I'm not I'm not a multitasker. Like, I need to I need to focus. I, I start splitting my attention, and the quality goes down mm-hmm. real fast. <laughs> I was hearing multiple conversations that were going on at the same time and I could keep up. 
You had some psychedelic superpowers. And I'm si- I'm sitting there being like, is this happening? I can't believe it's happening. How is this happening? Like, what in the world is yeah. going on right now? And then there are a couple times with other individuals where there was there seemed to be this communication between us. And I know that the words that we were saying were like, I know, right? Like, that's what we were saying out loud. Mm-hmm. That don't make no damn sense. Like, what are we even talking about? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And yet, like... <laughs> It totally felt like we we're having some kind of conversation, yeah. you know. Oh, for sure. So, um, so yeah, yeah, that that. Oh my goodness! I, I had that experience on on mushrooms the second time I did it with my friends, where mm. we were standing in a circle and we were just like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but we're talking about like the cosmos and philosophy and like it was like a deep conversation, but we're not using words, but right. we were making we were able to express like these, right. you know, and then it shifted to like, like the, the road winds around the trees and below the bridge, the road winds around the trees and below the bridge. Like, you know, like we're speaking in these weird, like poetic verses that didn't really match what the meaning was, but they yeah. meant we all knew that we were yeah. speaking deep meaning. So yeah, yeah. That is See? something that comes up. Yes. So, so like even as it was happening, I remember even thinking at that time, I was like, I just entered, I, now I'm part of this club where it's like this conversation that you and I are having now, mm-hmm. you get it. You've had similar experiences. And at the time I just remember, I was like, that's what's going to happen. I was like, tomorrow's going to be like, I'm going to be, I will tell people. It's like, and I wasn't making sense. I was like, no, I got you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like in the circle. I'm an now. initiate, <laughs> an acolyte. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So it was, your voice was in my head several mm. times okay. because, you know, if you remember, again, we talked about it beforehand and you're like, oh, well, I ask questions. What are bad trips? You have bad trips. They mm-hmm. do things, whatever. I was like, I'm worried. I was like, I'm a big guy. Totally. Like, if I do something crazy, like, I mean, ooh, what's going to happen there? Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember you specifically just saying, I was like, yeah, well, you know, you've, it's like, I've seen you've done some spiritual work. You're a spiritual guy and all that. It's like, you know, you'll, you'll probably be fine. Like you probably have the tools. Like if, if you feel things starting to go south, they starting to go bad, then waiting it out, breathing, you know, whatever. And when you said that, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And even that gave me the comfort level really mm-hmm. to go forward. And sure enough, that night visualizations, not all of them were good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Because it was like, I was like, okay, this is weird. Okay, that's even weirder. And I was like, eh, just, just let it pass. Let's just let's see what happens. Let's let it pass, you know? Yeah. And it, you know, it continued to change, mm-hmm. you know? And I was just like, yeah, that's all. Okay. All right. Did you have any kind of, uh, like, did you have any imagery from your spiritual tradition come up? Or was your brain? Nothing. I'm no. always curious, like, uh-uh. You have all these archetypes that you've uh-huh. worked with so much in your yeah. life. So I'm wondering if that like can color what the meaning is that you get. Like, did you feel like you t- think... talked to God or you saw some sort of like, you know, imagery relating to the, you know, to that supernatural context or was it, were you more rooted in like the physical world? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I... if I did, 
which which is likely because you know the visualization changed so much mm -hmm. it's it's likely but apparently you know it wasn't profound enough for me to remember mm -hmm. um yeah and and i think that's why in subsequent days i really started thinking i was like okay now i can see you know i talk to people who go and do What's that stuff called? Mescal, ayahuasca, Me mescaline, mescaline, yeah, mescaline, mm -hmm. and all. You know, they like sit with some leader or guide or a shaman or oh, someone. Oh yeah, that's the, and, the ayahuasca rituals. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, now, now I can, I can see, I can see. Yeah, definitely having someone there and kind of, you know, mm -hmm. I and and especially the intentionality, right? It's like this makes sense. So I was like, oh yeah, now I'm curious about this on a on a, on a whole nother level, right? But yeah, that night, no, I think that night was. Um, I was definitely like, okay, this is a party. I'm gonna have the fun. Yeah. And the music, oh, I'm, I just deep insecurities, right? So growing up, I did not do a whole lot of dancing in front of people mm. at all. Mm -hmm. I was one of the ones, you know, go to the school party and I'm on the wall. Wallflower. Get, get down there, go, just go. Okay, all right, next song. Yeah. yeah you don't really like the find the next song. It's like, yeah. oh, you really like this song? Well, don't go. I need to wait for the break. Uh -huh. Just in my head. And, you know, what I'm hearing is, what I'm visualizing is people judging me, people judging me, people judging me, which part of that was, you know, we clown on each other all the time. I mm -hmm. mean, that was what we did. Right. All day, every day. Yeah, that's how you bond. Right. But again, the only reason why that works is because of my deep insecurity. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, no, that night, I was like, I danced so much. And I know some of that's just, you know, the work that I've done where, you know, I'm much more free anyway. Mm -hmm. But, like, <laughs> I danced so much. Yeah. I just I enjoyed the music you. so much. Oh, yeah. It was so great. It that's, was so good. That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be curious, you know, um, if you were to try to set up a ceremony for yourself mm -hmm. in which you were uh utilizing one of these psychedelics in a faith-based way mm -hmm. what that would look like what the yeah, experience would be yeah. like like uh whether mm -hmm. you know obviously they might be constraints you might not be able to get the cathedral for your you know i would you 12 know hour nope i don't want the trip. cathedral I, don't want the, <laughs> I tell you what i want so yeah. Yeah, what, let's let's explore this. What is it? What does the faith ritual look like? Stars. Okay. Stars. I want. Yes, I want to be somewhere. So, when I was in college, my freshman year, right, Liberty. You mm -hmm. know, we're not supposed to do all of the things, right? Well, Halloween rolls around, and we we hear about this party, Halloween party, right? And really, all we know is that some of the people who we think are just very attractive are going to be there. <laughs> right? Why do I mean, why yeah. else go to a party? Yeah. I, you know, and, and our buddy, one of our buddies, um, the invitation really was like through him. It wasn't like directly to us, mm -hmm. but we're like, okay, great. What do we need to do? So look, things were so strict. We couldn't, we had uh, we had curfew. So if you weren't going to be back that night, you had to like sign out 
oh, to wow. a residence. Okay. Like, this is a place where I'm going to be. Wow. So we just. <laughs> College kids. We just lied to them, you oh, know, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> right? And so we go, we go to this, we go to this place and, you know, we don't know where we're going. And all of a sudden, like, okay, we're off of the, we're off of the highway. I was like, okay, we're off of the side road. Okay, now we're off the back roads. Now we're like. I'm starting to get concerned. I'm like, okay, this is like a horror movie. I'm like in the woods, in the middle, like just a long, windy, bumpy road. You can't go too fast. This is still in Orlando? No, this is in Virginia. In Virginia, okay. Yeah. And so it turned out to be at this farmhouse. And the freaking party was in a barn. Like nice. you literally had to like climb up to the loft yeah. and then had a DJ set Oh, up. yeah, that, was... the barn parties, man. Ooh, buddy. So... So we, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, dance and like, you know, I didn't do a whole lot of dancing, mm-hmm. but then it's like, all right, well now what? He's like, well, you know, like, well, you guys don't have to go home, you know, just, just crash here. Cool. I mean, it really wasn't a lot of us too. It was like, how do we get on like the inside of the group? Whatever. Mm-hmm. So we crash on the, uh, on their couches and this is a pretty nice house, living room, one wall, floor to ceiling glass. Wow. Right. So. You know, wee hours in the morning, laying down, trying to get some sleep, just thinking about just how awesome this this experience is. And I'm looking outside, and I'm like, ask my roommate. I'm like, is that fog? Like, what? That's weird. Is that fog? He's like, no, that's the Milky Way. Mm. I'm like, you can see the Milky Way? I'm, I'm a city boy. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm around lights. I, I, I literally never knew. And then I'm like, so all those are stars that I'm seeing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And I'm, I'm like, this is amazing. And since then, I I've been in another situation where we saw a meteor shower. Yeah. But really, like, I've never seen like stars like to that level. I've, and I've been chasing it. Like every time I travel, mm. I'm like, okay. Is am I close enough where I can like drive within an hour or something like that so yeah. I can get away from the lights and you know I'm like ch- chasing it I'm I'm gonna go uh, I'm supposed to be in Hawaii um, later this month oh you're gonna and, go up on Maui. Uh, Haleakala I want to yeah and I you know so all that said I know I want stars like that to be like ideally yeah if i can swing that well, like yeah. sierras you can get to some places where you see uh, where you see all that you know like it's Ooh. pretty dark even in the north bay how, you know where i grew how, up how, how far are the sierras like three hours sweet three and a half hours is that is that, is that like tahoe is that sierra tahoe's in the sierras the sierras are just the mountains that go north south in california okay, okay, on, uh, okay. but you know you get up into like the back country of yosemite you got to go on a backpacking trip, man. Mm-hmm, we got to take mm-hmm. you on a backpacking trip. I'm down. That's the, you know, that was the first place I dropped acid was at 11,000 feet on a plateau. That's why you meant that wasn't, a, that wasn't on a whim. Yeah. That 11,000 feet that was, in the Sierra. To this yeah, date, yeah. I think the best trip I've ever had. Never laughed yeah. so much in my life. Man. But, um, but yeah, man, the Sierras. Okay, so we got stars. Yes. And, you know, like. I had this question come up when you were talking, which is that like, how do you pray? What does prayer look like for you? Oh gosh, you're gonna ask me that? No, no, it's cool. So, <laughs> it, 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 listen, 
So prayer has been, it's, it's, it's maybe, maybe the discipline that I've struggled with the most, the spiritual discipline. Mm. Uh, and I've had some intense struggles with prayer. So I, um, th th this is how I used to describe it. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's like, all right, so we have as humans, certainly as Americans, you know, we, we have this thing, the English language, and it allows us to talk the way we're talking now. And we can describe all sorts of things. We can talk about how we feel and what we want to do and what work was like and, you know how to start a podcast, you know, like yeah. we can, we can talk about all these things. There's so much we can communicate and it's good because my relationship with other humans, it's, this is an important relationship. Oh yeah. But this is what I used to say. I was like, but my relationship with God is arguably even more important than that. And then we, well, what, what do we have to communicate? We have this thing, prayer. And it's like, it's, it's hard for me to get confirmation. I was like, God, do you understand? <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm like listening. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's yeah. it's so it's so different. Yeah. Uh and just profoundly frustrating. You know, certainly when I was looking at it like that. Mm. Like as if you're having like an internal dialogue or Yeah, yeah, and that and that's the thing. It's like how do I know the answer that I get back is God and not just me? Right. <laughs> Not just something that I ate, not just, you know, what I really actually want to do anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to find a way to give myself permission to do it. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. I was like very mistrustful of myself. So, so then I end up getting this, uh, this job working for the jail and prison ministry. And they put chaplains in jails and prisons all over the States. And so it was so freaking cool. I got to, I got to go to jails and prisons and I got to talk to, inmates who would never see the light of day again and are just like my faith is important to me um the capacity in which i was working with them was more on the development side you know taking care of donors raising money so what i would do is call people who had donated money i would say thank you i would Usually, you know, offer to give them a story of like, hey, here's something cool that happened. You know, like, I think you'd like to know about it. Mm -hmm. oh, that's awesome. And then before I got the phone, it was like, and then, you know, would you like for me to pray for you? So I'm doing this like so much. Yeah. <laughs> so much, right? Hundreds so of times like, a day. So, right. Yeah. So it's like literally one of the, the spiritual things that I find the most frustrating basically my job mm -hmm. <laughs> like, would you actually pray for each one of these individual people oh if, if i mean on the phone i'd pray for them okay yeah if if they um if so they what would yes. it, what would the prayer consist of well it depends i would i'd ask them if if they had something specific for me to pray for mm -hmm. and if so i would do that and if not if they just wanted something general yeah. then i would make something up something that I, I thought would be helpful and meaningful. And that's the thing. Like that's after a while, people were just like, Oh my God, like you, I love the way you pray. Mm. 
And for for a long time, it was just like, mm, you know, because I was like, you, yeah, I hate this. Right. Like, You're going through the motions. Or... Right. Or, or at least the so like, only okay, reason why I like I, it is because I'm doing it for you. I want to like... do a role, pl- role pray with you. So <laughs> You want to do it? I'm just saying, let's say we're talking and I'm like, okay, Jeremiah, um, I have a brother who's been struggling with, right. with uh, loss. Yeah. He lost his girlfriend. Right. I want you to pray for him. Right. What would you, what, what then would you do? Like, what would yeah, it'd probably, it'd probably be something, you know, like, you know, gracious God, you know, Hobart has told me about, you know, this loss. And even though it's the loss of someone close to him, I can hear how much Hobart loves this person. And obviously if this person loves a person that they lost. You know, you can just imagine that's hard and that's tough, you know. And so I just ask that you would not only comfort, you know, this person in in this time, but also comfort Hobart, Mm. you know, who is grieving for someone, you know, who who has that place in their life. Um, Yeah, I I, I typically wouldn't like pray for like a healing or some miracle or anything like that, you know, you know, but much more for comfort mm-hmm. presence mm-hmm. um um yeah some, something in that realm you know like for that person just yeah yeah which thank you that was really beautiful what you just said <laughs> uh, but it but i have to think that you know if you if you were to do that like a hundred times in a day right it's gonna kind of commodify it in a way or it's not gonna mean the same thing right mm-hmm. like there's almost like a dare i say sinflation <laughs> Did you just did you just coin a word on the, on the I love it. I love it. You know, the, <laughs> at, at the you know, there's somewhere around thirty or forty prayers. I'm starting to think maybe, yeah. you know, like I mean, just think about the guy on the other yeah. end. You know, like yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, but you, but you, um, no, you're onto something. And this is what this is one of those things that I learned from this process is that there's when it comes to spiritual disciplines, um, you, you, you could look at it as, as, as a, a tension between two things, mm. one being discipline and the other being creativity. I think if you commit to a discipline, you're going to experience both and it'll fluctuate between that tension. Mm-hmm. But if it is only one of those, it will get stale. So I absolutely, when I felt like it was getting stale, I just gave myself permission to get creative and to start doing, trying, trying different things, trying different words, trying, you know, whatever. Um, but there's something to be gained with both. Mm. Like if you, if you're someone who just, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. So many times people were like, Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, I'm doing the same thing, and yet I'm getting something new out of it. Right. Oh, it somehow gave way to creativity. Yeah. If you create, you start creative, and it's like, well, I'm going out to the woods today, and tomorrow's going to be something else. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> then a lot of people's like, oh my goodness, like God is like speaking to me everywhere. Like, how did this even happen? You know. So it's like, and then you find yourself doing it more because you're enjoying it, and mm-hmm. so your creativity gave way to discipline. Yeah. Like it's 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 this it's a that happened with the prayer. Mm. 
Like it, mm-hmm. I this thing that I was so frustrated with. Yeah, <laughs> like just it morphed. Right, and yeah. what a life lesson that is. Yeah. I mean, that's some, what you just described is a dynamic that I think everybody goes mm. through. You know, in whatever yeah. context, you know, maybe you can frame it as a spiritual one. Mm-hmm. I know I go through that in my own creativity and my art. Yeah. You know, struggling between staying disciplined to mm-hmm. getting work done, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. getting my projects completed, but also, you know, wanting to always be creative and just like start new projects all the time. Right, and right, right, right. Wanting to, you know, also. And and with the art that I do do, even this very podcast, right? There's like that dynamic of like, you know, this is going to be the 33rd or 34th one. It's like, you know, how do I keep it fresh? How do I keep from getting bored? How do I, you know, and that is by being creative. And that is by, you know, what, like you just said, you know, leaning into, uh, you know, that kind of creative solutions rather than resigning myself to stagnancy right um right do you feel like when you pray is it always uh with words you know like are are there actions that are prayers are there mm-hmm, do you ever mm-hmm. have just a feeling like you're praying or yeah is it, does it usually have to be like in that formal no no yeah no it's it's and part of this was i forgot about this so when i first when i first moved out here <clears throat> because I had friends that had gone to the seminary before and were currently at the seminary, they're very familiar with how it worked. Well, the seminary is part of a consortium of seminaries. So these, these seminaries over here in Berkeley, mm-hmm. you know, we call it Holy Hill. There's like all those schools over there. Mm. Well, they're in relationship with one another to the point where I can take as many classes as I want at those schools. Mm. It's part of, part of the tuition. So I keyed in on a, uh, one class, the first first class I took over there, um, was called I'm blanking on it. Um Theater of the Oppressed. Sounds like an East Bay class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Re- super, super cool. It came out of um I forget the guy's name, but um it was like down in like South America and really what they were doing is they were using theater in part to help people not only process some of the trauma and things that were going on down there that resulted from, you know, the different ways that they were oppressed, but also to like find solutions, Mm. potential solutions, like maybe even try some different things. So like they might put on a play and then, uh, you know, the play reflects some conflict that's going on. That's very familiar. People are like, Oh yep, yep, yep. man, this is going to happen. And then they'd stop the play right before the climax. And then Mm. they're like, all right, well, what can we do different? And then we'll take suggestions from the audience. And I was like, all right, well, now we're going to finish the play. And then I was like, you know, like improv style acted out. That was something they were doing here in the East Bay or you're saying down south? In South yeah, America? In, in, in South America. This is kind of how it started. So it was like a missionary work kind of thing? or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Kind of like missionary slash um, social. Uh, Justice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they go into yeah, these communities and yeah. put on a production, like put on a right. play. Right. With members of the community? With members of the community. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's pretty radical. Right. Yeah. Did you go do that? No, but this, so this, this class Mm -hmm. was rooted in this philosophy and a lot of this, you know, the philosophy, a lot of part that was new to me that I, 
I got a lot out of was a lot of the body work. So, you know, the way I say it is like, look, I didn't grow up with all this hippie stuff. Um, I got a lot of the head thing and all that, but not a lot of paying attention to your body. Like I just, I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. Maybe if I'd been in drama or something like that, maybe, or, you know, or if I was into like hippie stuff, maybe, but it just, I didn't get it. So now I'm being introduced to it for the first time through this course. And I mean, we'd start class with, okay, move your body. Yeah, just move it. Just move it however your body wants to move. Just like just stuff like that. I was like, what the hell is happening right now? <laughs> and looking around, it was like, I know I'm moving, but I'm like more interested in what these jokers are doing. Right. You know, like, right. But even when it came to expressions of things, like just, there's so much of just paying attention to your body and what your body is saying, what your body is telling you and all of this. That's how I started to look at, you know, prayer and spirituality differently, like they're just adding that component, you know, of my body. So it was like out of that, then I started to see, um, for example, sometimes when I would pray, like I'd already been doing this at, at this point, when I pray for someone, I may have words, but in addition to those words, there'd be just thoughts that I had. It's like, okay, maybe I don't say this part out loud. But really what I'm doing is just like my love for the person. Like I'm just trying to just articulate that somehow. Mm. Maybe I'm not saying it because I don't have time. Maybe I'm not saying it because it might be a little weird given the, 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 the moment we're in or whatever. But really just kind of embodied in my prayer. Just like really what I'm saying is like I freaking care about this person. And it hurts me that they're feeling this way or whatever or, you know. And so I'm just thinking about that and focusing on that. Then a lot of that, you know, again, you add the body to it. Mm -hmm. And now like, well, my posture, what's my posture? All of now I'm starting to pay attention. Like I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm being at first I thought I was being intense, you know, self-conscious because I'm like, am I like staring at this person too hard? Am I leaning in too close? Mm -hmm. Am I, you know, whatever. But it was like that awareness of the body. And I think, um, like I'd gotten a lot of like good positive feedback from people. It was like, I could tell you're paying attention. I could tell that you care. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I think again, a lot of that has to do with my posture, the way that I'm sitting, my facial is like all of just body, right? Not all head, not just thought. Like I can't read my mind. Mm Mm-hmm. But literally, my posture and the way that I'm, yeah, like it, it's it's part of my prayer. Okay. Yeah. Praying through your posture. Right. Nice. Right. And then you know, I mean, there's actual different, uh, you know, postures. Like, okay, are you, do you kneel down? Do you clap your hands together? Do mm-hmm. you genuflect? You know, do you, are you looking up? Are you like all of those things? Absolutely, can mean something. And so then it's like, ah, well, well, what does that mean to you? What are you saying? Yeah. It's like, okay, you, you, when you prayed, you just naturally did that. Like, what's that about? You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's like we were talking about the other day, like, again, the I word intention, mm-hmm. right? Like what you're mm-hmm. doing is, or what you just described is like, you're making the shape of your body have a meaning. Right. Like I'm doing this shape to symbolically represent a feeling that I have. Right. So, and it's so, 
everything you describe is so similar to to meditation, right? It's like mm-hmm. people do all sorts of shapes or they stare mm-hmm. at a mm-hmm. mandala mm-hmm. or they make a sound and they right. just focus on the sound or right. like it's it's clear that you know that the two are very like associated and very similar and I think that a lot of the benefits people get out of prayer uh sound to me like what people get out of meditation hmm. um hmm. The, the two you know the two i think have a lot of uh overlap you know yeah yeah i, I think so i um <laughs> so like you know post post divorce and like mm-hmm. finally dealing with all this stuff that's bubbling up that i'm choosing not to ignore right i'm like well at that point it's like I was still very angry. That stuff didn't just go away overnight, right? So I'd heard about this meditation group. And I was invited to this meditation group. So I went. And I went. And I went. And it was one of those discipline things. I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to mm-hmm. go. I'm gonna keep me-. And I was terrible at it. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm the worst meditator in the history <laughs> of meditators. Right? Like, By the oh. way, that's like super common. <laughs> like everybody feels that for sure. Like, oh, man. It was so bad. And part of me listening to you tell your story about going to India, sitting there and for a long ass time. And then your thoughts are jumping around. Mm-hmm. What, how does the one dude say it? Uh, Henry now. And I think he said thoughts jump around like, like monkeys at a mango tree. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, one thing after the next, mm-hmm. one thing after the next. And he's like, just stay there. And I'm like, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And then it's like, it just kept coming. Um, but how, how do I get on this? We're talking about posture. Oh, yeah. So then my posture became, um, I became aware of that. I suddenly became like, oh, that itch. It'll go away. Mm. Oh, it's getting worse. Oh, my God. I have to scratch it. Okay, fine. I'll scratch it. Mm. Okay. All right. Now I'm back. And, uh, <laughs> like, right? I, you know, I, in, in that Vipassana, <laughs> I started to crave the itches because hmm. I was so bored. When an itch would arise, oh, I'd be gosh. like, yes, oh, I get boy. to focus on the itch. Oh, and it was man. crazy because the itch would build, uh-huh. but I would focus, I would hyper focus on it hmm. and it would be like, okay, it feels like it's like a point on my face. And then I would like sift like through the point. Mm-hmm. I'm like, can I get even more specific? Like, where is it? And what I would find was that there's actually wasn't an itch anywhere. It was like a cloud. Hmm. Like the more that I tried to like look at it, the mm-hmm. more it dispersed. And it actually like gave me this ability to like tolerate the itching and it, and then that translated oh that goodness. same mental exercise. I got to a place with pain where I was sitting cross-legged. It'd been like an hour, you know, it was like the, there were like hour sits at the time. Mm-hmm. might've been a two hour one. I forget, but I got to this place where the pain was building and building and building. The cramps were getting so bad. I had like terrible, I was in agony, but I was doing this, this exercise and I got to a spot for a, for one second mm. where I could, was fully conscious and aware of my pain mm-hmm. and to, cause I was working on not associating the pain with a good or a bad. That's the other part of this meditation. The mm. Vipassana is as the sensations arise, the only way to break the samsara, this like, you know, this rut of a reaction mm-hmm. is to have the, that react have the stimulus arise and yeah. not react to it and if you can do that you'll break it 
but we it's all, we can almost never do it especially with the deep ones because we've mm-hmm. reacted mm-hmm. so much to mm-hmm. them so i was doing that with the pain and the pain was coming up and i was like don't view the pain as bad it's not bad it's intense there's hmm. a difference between those two words yeah. there's nothing wrong yeah. with the pain yeah and I got to this brief second where I was fully aware of the pain and I was totally master of it. And I was like, I've, I've defeated pain. I've mastered pain. I am a God. And then like, oh, no, there it is. Oh, fuck. I'm so, this hurts so bad, you know. Yeah, you got it. It didn't last very long. Yeah, but, but it changed how I thought about how I thought about itching, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and gave me this confidence where like I could be in that scene in the movie where the aliens in the room and you get the itch on your nose and I could probably sit through it. And I think that's really is like the, the liberation that a lot of people find Mm. in meditation. And I'm sure I'm, I'm sure as well in prayer is that when you've gotten to a place with your development of meditation, you start to get this feeling like, okay, I can be okay anywhere. Yeah. You know, you hear about guys that are locked in cells, right? That get into meditation oh because it's it's a it's a solace. You know, it's a, it's an escape. Mm. It's a solace. You're like carrying around in your mind the ability to 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 find peace and right. to find acceptance of whatever state you're in. It, you know, the most extreme example being the the Buddhist monks that immolate themselves, right? The the to protest, you know, the right. Chinese occupation of right. Tibet, like. Right. These monks literally cover themselves in gasoline. I was in Dharamsala, went to the temple and saw the pictures on the wall of every monk who has done that. And there's a lot more than you think. There's hundreds of faces on that wall. Some of them are as young as 17, 16 years old that, that that went out into the square, covered themselves in gasoline and lit a match and burnt themselves alive. And when you think about the discipline to be able to meditate through that because they don't break character. You know, they don't yell out. They don't scream. Yeah. I do believe that they're, they've gotten to a place where they can sit through that and pass in peace and they aren't in agony. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's, that is the power of the mind. You know? Ooh, boy. Yeah. yeah. I ain't going to do so it, but, but yeah, you, like that's, I, I, I'm not, I don't have a high pain threshold at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. So, man that's that's like some alien stuff to me right there you know the other thing i was gonna say um was that before i moved out here i found myself because the idea of like going and doing a silent retreat is Mm -hmm. both terrifying and yet i continue to be drawn towards it i have a a, a, had a friend back home and it was a regular practice of his uh Mm -hmm. like i don't know maybe a couple times a year um Loved it. We talked about it, talked yeah. about it. Same way, you know, you know, my curiosity. I'm asking all kinds oh, of yeah. questions. And he had invited me to go. It didn't happen since I've been out here. I've, like, looked at some um, monasteries and some different places where I could do it. Hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. It's this weird thing where I'm like, I know there's something in it for me. It's gonna be terrible. <laughs> like, what do you what like, what scares what scares you the most about it? I'm curious. Um. Wow. I 
don't know, you asking me that question, I just immediately, I'm like, oh, the thing that scares me scares me less than it did a couple mm-hmm. years ago. But being alone with my thoughts, mm. being alone with just me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, even just saying out loud, like, man, that doesn't, it's not nearly as terrifying as it used to. That's weird. Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting, I was, you know, when I was going into it, I was scared about like, being silent for all that time and being and not having eye contact with people. And what I realized when I was on, like when I was into it was that those are actually really fucking nice when you're in that state. Mm. Cause you get so vulnerable and Mm. so deep into your head. Yeah. It's like too much to have to show up for someone socially. Like you go eat lunch like you're not in a state to talk to someone. Yeah. You don't want, it's like having that blanket rule lets everybody off the hook. Right. You know, and I, and I would go sit in the cafeteria and there was always people where I was like, fuck that guy. Yeah. Like I hate you. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know. I had never talked to this person in my life, but there's a certain people at the retreat where you're like, that guy sucks, you know? And, and looking all douchey. Yeah. Yeah, I know something, you know, know I'm going and that's me. Right. right, I'm I'm saying that about myself probably. But then there's also, there's people where you're like, yeah, I could eat with you. And mm-hmm. you go sit down. I started sitting down next to the same diet guy every day. We never said a word during the whole retreat, but it's just mm. like something about you mm. is making me feel like I can sit next to you and eat. Mm. And, you know, and then at the end he came up and we talked, you know, he's a really sweet dude, really cool. nice. But like little things like that, you know, but just like I was worried that that was going to be hard. Yeah. That was actually like a blessing, a gift that the people that had set it up had understood that like, yeah, like the, the, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. not having to speak, not having to make eye contact, not having to be like a presence show up with the social weight of like holding it together or being a character or maintaining an appearance. That with me. Yeah. Cause that is, that's, um, I think I've been missing the carrot. Uh, cause now, now like I know the, Again, the, the the fear that I have, it's not only just being alone with myself, but being alone with myself without the comfort of my defense mechanisms. So, like, my voice? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. That means I can't use humor. Mm-hmm. That means I can't use song. I mean, I mean, like, what? And then my mind. And I love the way mm-hmm. that I think and I can be entertained and all that. But it's like, yeah, but that's... That's not the per- I'm going to try to like Oh, you'll use it on yourself, down. man. Like uh, I I had that was the other thing that came up was I've never been more creative in my life. And I didn't have anything to record it with. Because I you not don't bring out it. You can't bring in writing instruments or anything. Right. So I remember this one afternoon I'm sitting we would get like a free hour to go like wander the grounds and there's monkeys all around and stuff. The place what? I did it though was like very like stark. They had barb. They had like chain link fences over everything because there's monkeys everywhere. Gotcha. So like it felt like I was in a prison. Mm-hmm. It was hard to escape that, you know. Yeah. It was very like stark in that way. But this one afternoon, I'm sitting out, and I just start crying, laughing, because I just had the funniest thought, and I had this idea for like a romantic comedy, and it's like, it's like Steven Seagal. Yeah. And he's like met this girl. He's like a tough guy, you know, and he's mm-hmm. falling in love Steve with her. And it was just this scene uh. where they're like at like a like a boardwalk type thing or yeah. fair. 
and then like a gang of monkeys like <laughs> comes up and starts laughing at him and challenge like picking a fight and he's like all right, you bastard. And he just starts like swinging on monkeys and he's just housing monkeys. And it's like Steven Seagal versus like 15 monkeys, like throwing them into carts. And like they're coming at him and he's just like, Hey, and it's a fair fight. You know, it's not like he's, you know, listen, so, if you, if, if, if that movie is made, yeah, if that movie was made, I, my mom and I would have saw it. Oh yeah. Like, Oh my goodness. So I have that thought. I have that whole thing play out in my head and I'm literally like leaning against the fence, like, tr- <laughs> like die, like trying to breathe, like laughing so hard, tears streaming down my face, you know, like it, uh, you know, and those kind of things came up. I was like the horniest I've ever been for my whole retreat. Man, I felt man, like I was back man. in high school. It was crazy, Dang. Like, crazy. There was, you know, because like in we we're in this traditional setting, and there was about three hundred people in this in this room mm-hmm. meditating, and the women were in a separate wing of the of the vipassana grounds. Okay, it was segregated by by gender. Mm-hmm. The women were on one side and they, we would only see them when they would come into the room and sit. Okay. But then they would go back into their own thing and we'd yeah. be on our side. Yeah. But like, man, I definitely checked out. There was like a couple girls where I was like, had some deep fantasies. <laughs> you know, and I thought about maybe like if I ran into them in the town afterwards, you know, striking up a conversation. Cause I was right. like, they gotta be feeling the same way. Like there's gotta Ugh. be, I know that I'm having these fantasies cause this, right. my mind is in like, turned up to 11 like everything is more intense right now you know okay see so that be feeling as horny as high school like mm-hmm. i did not i didn't understand why people wore boxers like i didn't start wearing boxers like well into adulthood mm. and part of that because i'm like don't you periodically get embarrassing boners and then, like <laughs> what are you gonna do in school like i don't do the thing where you like stand up but your folders in front of your crotch you know what i mean like you gotta tuck man uh, <laughs> stand tuck. that's the that's the go-to man <laughs> again deep insecurity yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know probably maybe it would have been fine but yeah. in my mind i was like oh. yeah man i mean that's it's it's uh these are the, these are the things we learn we struggle in life yeah um yeah. cool man well <laughs> i think we're gonna all right so remember i told you before this is the time flies yes we're at three hours and 11 minutes Shut right now the front door so i think we're gonna end it with one last story okay and i'm gonna you you asked me to write down two things so maybe you can weave these both into the story but We've heard about you, the young man, mm-hmm. the the husband, the mm-hmm. partier, yeah, and and the <laughs> and the preacher, you know, the the student. So yes, I think it's only right that we bring it on home and talk about the poison ivy circus. All right, okay, and your love of sad songs. Oh, that's right, that's right. Shoot, okay, maybe we can weave them both into the same story. I don't know. It's going to be a challenge, but I'm up for it. Mm-hmm. So Poison Ivy Circus. Yes. Um, so San Anselmo over Marin, you know, that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Start going to this bar, this American Legion bar. We call it the dugout. It's literally in the middle of a neighborhood. So it's not the thing that you just, you're driving past. That's like the one on no Memorial Field. Past. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
I never knew there was a bar there, but I've Mm -hmm. hung out at that place, at that field. Yeah, well, you can come hang out sometime. Mm -hmm. So Marisa is there, and um, she's a bartender. So I am... (laughs) I I had bet playing pool with a woman and we bet because like all right so the loser is going to have to do a dance for the for the winner well i lose mm-hmm. uh so i was like all right marisa i'm gonna need you to queue up uh a pony by genuine of course right? the safe choice so <laughs> so i'm so i'm dancing and you know the person that won pool is very satisfied like they're like oh you know i didn't know it was gonna be like yeah this like i thought you was gonna have as i was like well i don't have as anything so uh marisa's watching she's like she knows me seminary guy Mm -hmm. right he's not seen me (laughs) move like this Mm -hmm. like what in the world the dancing deacon right so she came out from behind the bar and she did some kind of move and that was like super bendy and i'm like whoa 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 what is that all what <laughs> and so she's like oh yeah well i'm an acrobat i didn't think anything of it but the next time i saw her, i was like okay what does that even mean mm-hmm. you're an acrobat you know like does it did you like do gymnastics as a kid or something like she's like no no, no. i'm like an aerial acrobat you know like Cirque du Soleil and stuff he's like past tense are you still like oh yeah no i do it now i was like what she's like we actually have a show coming up you should come okay I go to the show. Marisa, show was great. Mm-hmm. Thank you for telling me about it. that. Was so listen, listen. That was so good. So then she's like, "Well, hey, do you wanna do you wanna help?" Again, improv. Yes. <laughs> and what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, right. So originally she was like, "Yeah, maybe you know, I think you'd be a good MC." Didn't work. I was like having crazy dental problems at the time. Not gonna go into that. Mm. But to the point where I was like, I don't know that I could talk. So is there anything else? He's like, well, sure. You know, we need some help pulling the ladies up and down <laughs> on the rope. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. I, I'm down. I just need you, someone to show me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So sure enough, that I mean, that's really that's really a short of how I got into that. Mm-hmm. And that was about two years ago now. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I, did, I thought this was a recent thing, but you've been doing this for a while. Still fairly, you know. Yeah. But, you know, not much happened 2020. Right. Uh, dang sure. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they are very comfortable, you know, with me pulling them, and they trust me. And I was like, look, I'm not going to drop you. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, let's just, just – I just want – I need to know what to do. So, yeah, it's been great. Um, I love it creative outlet i'm around adults who are also having fun and not mm. boring um yeah so, so that's, you're hoisting hoisting pretty girls all night up and down as they dance on their i am i'll their... tell you li- listen that we had a show on saturday mm-hmm. you didn't go i was engaged elsewhere yes yes totally fine if you had been there mm-hmm. you would understand this reference but there was a there was a performer who, I mean, she like hangs like by her teeth or something. Oh, wow. She like bites something and like mm-hmm. hangs. And she's got like these chains. She's got this crazy like, I don't know, devil outfit or something. Mm-hmm. Literally, 
literally the first time I saw her was the night of the performance. I didn't know her act, anything like that. And all of a sudden, she's walking out and <laughs> and Nate the Clown is like, hey, have you seen her act before? I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. It's like, because you're going to pull her. What? <laughs> and he's like, I'll tell you what to do. I was like, okay. And so sure enough, like, it was so badass. Everybody loved it. Mm-hmm. It was so freaking cool. But, like, I'm standing there holding the rope, jaw open, just like everyone else. Because, like, yeah. no, this is the first time I'm seeing this. Right. I can't even believe what's happening. Right. You're like, I don't want to, like, jerk, jerk right, her right, out of her. Right, right. Grip. So, yeah, they have that level of trust in me, wow. which <laughs> is kind of scary. But also, I like it. Do they have a nickname for you? No, in fact, at the end of the show, um, you know, final call, just everybody mm-hmm. go take a bow. And so they're introducing performers one by one. And they introduce me, Jeremiah Jenkins, I go, I take mm-hmm. a bow. And some of the ladies come up and they're like, so so what's your what's your real name? <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was like, no, that is my real name. I was like, no, yeah. I don't have a stage name now. They're like, really? Because Jeremiah Jenkins, I know, I know. It sounds like it should be something. I, but I have to work on it. Yeah, if you're dressed like a cowboy, maybe. I almost told Marisa to, to you need a name, sexual dude. chocolate. I, I sexual chocolate. Close. I, I swear you close. said that's what you've called yourself in the past, right? Well, you know. I, yeah. I, do, I do need to be a little more creative with that. I can't be stealing from Eddie Murphy. That's right. You know. You could be like... Uh, I'm gonna find one. Yeah, that's dope, man. So, so you're a preacher that does acro, and uh, and walks amongst the stars. Yeah. Um, tight. Well, hey, it's great. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Oh, well, I appreciate. I feel it, like man. we could talk for another three hours, no problem. But probably we'll have to wait till the next time. I want to do a segment in the future with you. We got to do like an Ask a Preacher episode where we can Ooh. get some people to send in questions, solicit the, solicit the peeps and the audience. And, uh, that sounds fun. And you can work on some of your improv, you know. Hey, folks, <laughs> if, you know, if you got questions, you know, we can, well, I'll, I'll put it on the socials too the next time. But uh, I think that would be a really interesting episode. Do you, maybe, uh, maybe it should be a panel. We could do a panel too. Get, AMA, do a live panel, yeah, yeah. live barcast show. <laughs> um, yeah, dude, for sure. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. You are welcome. I appreciate Thanks for having you. me. Yeah, it's appreciate your friendship even more. And uh, and be on the lookout, guys, because we're gonna get Jeremiah set up with his own podcast. I keep calling it the Godcast. <laughs> I think that's a great name, but but maybe uh, that's taken. Maybe we'll find something else. But. Uh, but yeah, dude, um, how can people connect with you if they want to connect, if they want to find you? If they want to connect, let's see, probably the easiest is going to be either Facebook or Instagram, yeah. I guess. I don't really have much platforms. Mm-hmm. Instagram, Jeremiah D. Jenkins. Nice. Not very creative, but hey. it gets the job done. Jeremiah, Jeremiah just like it's spelled in the Bible. So there you go. don't get wonky with the spelling or else you're gonna go you're gonna get it. an inferior Jeremiah. Yeah, no. <laughs> You'll know when you find him, folks. You'll know. Um well dude, thank you so much, man. Much love. And uh and yeah, let's let's get you set up because 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 you you're a natural at this. Let's this do it. Great. Oh, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. 
All right, there you have it, Mr. Jeremiah. What an interesting dude. Um, and what an interesting take. It's it's again, it's like just so cool to to dive into these topics um that you know, you wouldn't necessarily assume a a man of the cloth uh to be interested in or or experiencing um and and the time really flew by. It was super fun. So thank you so much, Jeremiah, for coming on. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping for um, for all of you looking looking towards the future. Um, tomorrow I'm taking off to head down to L.A. and I'm going to be doing a podcast down there with my cousin Pietro, who just started an art collective and they just had their first show. So there will be more in the works coming up. So stay tuned and. Um, Y'all have a real nice week. Summertime is here. Be well, my friends.